Head Cannon. I'm Ben Schwenlight. And I'm Marco Sparks. And this week, for number 33 episode of the podcast, we are doing Scream. <laughs> December 20, 1996, directed by Wes Craven, written by Kevin Williamson. This is a big one. Mm-hmm. People may not know this, but this is like this is like at least 25% of our, our brand, I think, comes from Scream. <laughs> I'd say this is the uh, solidifying of our friendship. Yeah. 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 This movie is a big reason why we are friends. Um, So, well, well, to be fair, Scream 2, but. Well, but this one, but see, when we, this was out on video, like we could go see Scream 2 in the theaters, but this is, we could just watch this like all the time. And we did. True, but we watched, because basically we got Scream 2 for free. At a hotel during a class trip. Oh yeah, and, and I said, "What's this?" And you're like, "Have a seat. <laughs> you're going to enjoy it." Uh, yeah, and so then we went back and watched, or I went back and you showed me Scream, um, and then we had our hearts broken by Scream Three. So I think we knew we knew that was coming, though. You know, you know, you know what the words were that spelled out its doom long before it showed Aaron, up. Aaron Kruger. Well. No, that wasn't the first sign of doom for me. The first sign of doom for me was when they advertised Cameo by Jay and Silent Bob. Mm. And I was like, that's Yeah, that's not great either. But I didn't have a good vibe for Aaron Kruger because uh, Arlington Road is some hot garbage. (laughs) Anyway, let's do our opening statements. Do you want to go first or should I? I'll let you. Okay. Uh, You know, I'm a little bummed. I've got like a slight case of laryngitis right now. I I used to be able to do like a mean killer voice. But uh, you know, like Ghostface, but mm-hmm. not right now. I can't can't quite hit that register. So maybe mm-hmm. by next week I'll be able to do my impressions. Anyway, uh, yeah, this is one of my favorite movies. No joke. This is in my top five, like favorite. Not necessarily the best movies ever made, but personal favorites. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the movie that made me want to get into making movies. Probably watched this movie fifty times in high school. I love it. I love the way it plays with the audience. Uh, it's probably not the first genre savvy movie ever made, but we definitely never seen anything like Scream and like the mainstream before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it felt like after years of watching movies that weren't really about teens, like this movie is not only made for teens, but specifically for people like me who watch too many movies. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, this is like the first movie I saw that really kind of like pushed back at me and like played with my own expectations. Uh, it's really kind of a have your cake and eat it too kind of movie. You can make fun of the tropes and still be genuinely surprised and impressed by the twists and whatnot. And entertained. Uh, entertained, yeah. I love this movie. That's oh. it. High price. Um, I would... <laughs> how pompous is my opening statement? The first sentence is, mm-hmm. this is a smart, literate, like, metafictional masterpiece. Um, I tend to love the slasher brand of horrors. Uh, that, not because... That, that was... Can I just say, that was a very meta way of addressing your meta opening. That was a very scream style of, I'm going to make a joke about how pompous this is. And then just do it anyway. So you can't tell. Bravo. I'm taking a bow. Um, mm-hmm. I tend to love the slasher uh, subgenre of horrors, mostly because of the the touch of whodunit, but with the flair of theatricality. Mm-hmm. I love when you can update the moment when Perot brings everyone to the drawing room and explains how it's done with just people covered in blood screaming as they run through a house and final girls and what have you. But um, it's, it's weird going back with this because you have our nostalgia, you have the movie itself, and then you have it as like this 90s artifact. <laughs> like, it, I mean, compare this to like the entire Tarantino oeuvre where he just takes 
not so much homages, but like direct quotes from his sources and dilutes them of value. And this thing is like fun with its references. It celebrates them. It toys with them. It's not like too smart about it, but it, it lets you know that it's okay to use your brain. It's, it's a dialogue heavy horror script. Um, and it, it continues like our legacy of, of loving like 90s things where we would cast 30 year olds as believable teenagers. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it inspired like a whole watered down ripoff wave of horror movies. It, it's, it put a new spin on teen romantic comedies. You had shows like Dawson's Creek that kind of came out of, you know, the screenwriters stuff. DNA for things like PLL are, are in here. You've got Leopold Lowe twists. Um, this is a great movie. It's so much fun. It's bizarre looking at it now as an artifact. But like you said, to have your cake and eat it too. Um, I love it. Yeah, I I feel like we should try to like at least offer some perspective for, for some of our younger listeners uh, who weren't in their teens when this movie came out. Like before this movie came out, there was one other movie for teens in that kind of generation. It was Clueless. It came out the year before. And like before that, like, there, there, like the whole teen genre did not really exist. Clueless mm-hmm. came out. This came out. Whoa. And suddenly Whoa. they were making a bunch of movies for teenagers. The teen genre existed, but the 90s version of it. Had not seen yeah, five. yeah. I mean, you know, you can go you back to American Hughes. Graffiti or whatever, John Hughes. But yeah, in the '90s, there wasn't like they didn't make teen movies at least until Clueless and then Scream that really blew up with. And then this this begat your She's All That, so your Can't mm-hmm. Hardly Wait. Uh, and then sorry, I know what you did year. last summer. Yeah, oh, Urban Legend. Ten yeah. things I hate about you. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, my only complaint about this movie is there needed to be a reference to Firestarter, but anyway. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's. And it's two I, things I, we love. You got you got your whodunit aspect, and you got your. I don't know if there's like a specific word for the trope, but the uh, the dwindling cast, you know, like mm-hmm. people getting picked off one at a time. I mean, that's all. That always works well. Yeah, yeah. So okay, let's, get in let's there. talk about our, our top moments. I mean, these are tough because there's so many. I mean, this movie's like imprinted on my brain, uh, so it's hard to even narrow it down. But uh, I got any honorable mentions? I've got two. Uh, I have no honorable mentions because my, my moments I feel like are a bit of cheat because they're just like the pillars, you know? It's <laughs> like act one, act yeah. two, and uh, act three. Yeah. What's your honorable mentions? Uh, number one, the scene with Randy and Stu and then Billy in the video store. Yes. Um, just, you know, great Randy moments there. Some good Stu moments. Billy showing up and being creepy. Mm-hmm. Randy just- uh, correctly predicting both Billy and Stu as the killers. I like that. Can we just put out a blanket? Like how creepy is Skeet Ulrich? Yeah. I'm going to have a lot of comments about him. Super fucking creepy. <laughs> yeah. That video store. I don't know. It's just a fun scene. You know, a howling horror straight ahead. I mean, this was, this was back in an era where like being the guy who knew like about movies at your video store, that was like mm-hmm. some cachet. That was like a thing you could hold on to. It doesn't matter now. Everybody just Google shit, you know. But back in the day, like your your weird tribal knowledge of movies and TV shows, it had to exist on its own. You couldn't fall back on anything. It came with some sacrifices. You mm-hmm. may not have uh, been the social, social butterfly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this movie is just totally made for us, though. You know, like mm-hmm. we were those guys who would just know this kind of shit. We might have started bitter a little early, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then honorable mention number two, uh, I mean, it's hard to, I mean, it's something to just say the whole, um, 
opening with Casey and whatnot. Um, two, two little moments stand out. Number one is uh, because I want to know who I'm talking to. Uh, that's a super creepy moment. But just on a personal note, the his name wouldn't be Steve, would it? Uh, just How do you know his name? We had a friend named Steve, and it, that just became a running joke where we probably said it one million times to each other and our other friends uh, because mm-hmm. of our friend named Steve. So I love that. Yeah. But yeah, give me your number three. Um, it's actually Randy laying out the rules at Stu's party. It's mm. like part two, Randy laying out the rules, using Halloween as a template. Um, one of the truest parts of that sequence, it's all white people at that party. <laughs> um, but I, I love the, the – like the movie is very verbally smart. The dialogue is brilliant. The way they reference it is always on point. But then you get some great like cuts like when Randy's talking about the obligatory tit shot and then we cut over to Sydney getting naked for her boyfriend. Well, the way they can the first rule, the way they can bring in the Halloween soundtrack, like like, like cheating occasionally to like sneak yeah. it in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so, I do yeah, love him, pretty much that. him doing the rules, you know, like he can never drink or do drugs as he's drinking, you know. Yeah, it's you a never. sin. It's a sin. It's an extension of number one. You never, under any circumstances, say, I'll be right back. Mm -hmm. You know what I really noticed about this movie was that the dialogue, not only does it crackle, but it comes out so fast. Like, maybe it's just because we watched Arrival the other day, but, like, man, they just, like, they get their dialogue out in this movie. There's not a lot of long pauses or anything. They just, like, snap, snap. And this was a time when that was was allowed to come back Mm because you have, of course, like, Gilmore Girls, you know, which is, like, I want to say those, I read they were, like, 80, 90-page television scripts just because... Mm -hmm those actors could shoot that dialogue in West Wing. But yeah, that's a, it's a big thing when you can get your actors to deliver this. But I want to say real quick too, what I love about the rules is not only is he on point calling out the tropes of the movie that this is in the genre of, mm-hmm. but it's like, it's like the nineties version of like the rules from the prestige or, you know, the, 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 the placeholders, the acts. <laughs> um, God, this movie's so good. Yeah. Yeah, my number three, um, and this is kind of a cheat because it's two two different things, but number one was the the red right hand montage of like it's like curfew and like people are closing up shop and whatnot as uh, Nick Cave's red right hand is playing, which is just like the perfect horror movie song. Um, yeah. And then and then you know we go through that to eventually Dewey, uh, Deputy Dewey, he's eating his ice cream while the sheriff is smoking <laughs> and it's such like a perfectly played straight hilarious scene like they never make it too goofy but mm-hmm. it's 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 the happening the whole time it's hilarious that the way he's eating that ice cream cone as though it's a cigarette he's smoking you know he's just like mm, yeah like person his lips like ooh wow that's some good yeah. intel sheriff i'm going to you take a drag on your cigarette like ooh and i'm just going to lick this ice cream cone like yeah love it <laughs> I feel like you described that much more sexual <laughs> than it plays out. Maybe it is. There's definitely an oral fixation that I, I hadn't quite put the filter of on there. Um, <laughs> my number two is uh, your, one of your honorable mentions. It's part one of Randy laying out the rules in the video store for Stu about why Billy is obviously the killer. Yeah. Um, when she shows up, he's like flirting with the girls and he's like, bad taste. <laughs> you just got out of jail for like murder and you're like in the horror movie section. And then the the classic goofy meta line of there's always some bullshit reason to kill your girlfriend. Um, but like it just it so perfectly encapsulates Hollywood. You know, there's always some stupid bullshit reason to kill your girlfriend. But there's there's great references to to prom night, the movie, to red herrings. 
they set up. Can I just go ahead and talk about one of the most brilliant parts of the movie that's not on my my top three? It's kind of, I guess, my honorable mention. Sorry, sure. is when the killer on the delayed video shows up mm-hmm. to behind Randy at the parties by himself, and he's watching Halloween. You have Jamie Kennedy saying, "Watch out, Jamie!" Behind you, to Jamie. Jamie Lee, which which is like a next level genius to me. Um, yeah, like, like meta behind the scenes genius. Anyway. Well, as Those it are, happens, that is so genius that that is my number two. Uh, nice. Behind you, Jamie, behind you. Uh, not only that, it, you know, it's Jamie Kennedy, but the moment itself, even like take away the tape delay, just him there is creepy. And then the fact that they're watching it happen from the video truck adds an extra layer of creep. And then they pay off the tape delay. You know, they set it up about 20 minutes earlier that like, oh, there's a 30 second delay on this video. And mm-hmm. then they pay it off beautifully where... They, you know, make the mistake. They think the killer's inside, open the door. Whoops, killer's right there. Mm. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, yeah. And apparently that was actually Skeet Ulrich. It was the only time it was not a stuntman in the Ghostface uh, outfit. Uh, Skeet Ulrich really wanted to be in it, so they let him do that scene. Interesting. Um, Whether or not that means it's actually Billy doing that, that's up for debate, I guess. It's a little hard to narrow down. Who is who you know the thing about this movie? Don't worry about it. That's the thing yeah. about this movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think – I think once you reveal that it's two killers, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe don't come into it with the mindset of making it completely mapped on the, on the ground. Yeah. Um, my number one is the opening. It is the perfect escalation in tone, be it dialogue, be it events, be it framing. Parts of this movie visually are not what I would call super flashy. I would say the camera techniques are what you would see in a good episode of TV. But that is kind of what's just so deceptively great about it. Um, but even from the very beginning, you get the wonderful foreshadowing of the tree outside her house. You get Drew, Drew Barrymore just like teasingly playing with the knife while mm-hmm. talking with the killer and flirting him on the phone. Um, plus you have the beautiful stunt casting of drew barrymore and then the amazing voice of roger l jackson the voice yeah who was temporary like they planned to bring someone else in to do the voice and he's perfect yeah the the voice is just the right level of menace without you know it's it, smart. it didn't need to sound like the candy man or anything you know like yeah love it yeah uh my number one spoilers at the end when billy and Stu are stabbing each other to make themselves look like victims to me. Like when I saw this in the theater, I was just like, Holy shit, that's insane. Like, I, <laughs> like, like my brain couldn't comprehend that the killers would do this, you know, at the, you know, it's like this had never happened in a movie I'd watched before where they're like literally like stabbing each other to make it look, you know, like they were victims and they just keep going at it. And it was just complete insanity, you know, and they're like, the, the, they kind of start like getting into it. Like they actually want to hurt each other because they're mad at each other. You know, yeah. like, oh man, I but love they're that also, scene. They're also so turned on by the idea of scaring Sydney mm-hmm. because otherwise this is the wrong time to set up your, your alibi <laughs> of stabbing each other. <laughs> it's just the, the mania that it reaches at that point. And Sydney's just like, oh my God, these two are nuts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, any complaints? You know, I don't know if I can pull out complaints just from its its age and its its time period and what have you. I'm fascinated, and I think it's brilliant that they threw in like the fawns dying just because <laughs> they had 30 minutes and no deaths. Um, yeah. So for me, no, not really. 
I mean, I, I can think of a few minor ones. Um, the Fonz would not be one of them. Um, I mean, that scene doesn't need to be there, but, you know, it's fun. Um, if I had a like one complaint about this movie, I guess it would be, I feel like the Billy and Sydney scenes kind of grind the movie to a halt at times. Like no, I, know, I know why they're there, but they don't work on multiple levels the way the other scenes do. I don't feel like like it's it's really just like I'm sad you accused me or why won't you have sex with me like oh he's he's so he's so dirtbaggy about that yeah um you know when I like Ski Ulrich the most in this movie when he dies no when he's actually played by Luke Wilson and Stab and oh, Scream yeah. Two <laughs> well I feel like that in the in Scream Two that's like a like a criticism of Skeet Ulrich, you know, it's like, yeah. it's like taking him to task for how bad he is in this movie. Yeah. It's just crazy. like, it's not just making fun for the sake of making fun. It was like, no, that was like a really bad scene. I just think you should get over it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's just a gross rat face clone of Johnny Depp. And also his first name is Skeet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't know. A little sad to see Tatum go. I mean, I, I know why they did it, but Poor Tatum. Yeah. Um, and uh, Ghostface sneaking around in broad daylight, maybe a bit much. I don't know. I kind of like it, and I'm kind of like, that's absurd. Well, it's like you never really get a sense of it, like is it, if it's imagined or if it's just the other people. Because you know that other people are, are wearing the costume and running around because, yeah. as they say, it's available in every five and dime. Um there's a there's a bit that really reminds me of Scream in the season three premiere of PLL when uh, Spencer gets the the text from some Joker at school about mm-hmm. like show me your boobs or whatever it was. Um, it reminded me of of all the copycat morons this high school and, and the college in Scream too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't. It's funny when you when you try to do a podcast about this movie to think like. Was there like killer rehearsal? Did they have like spree killer boot camp? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's did they, did they coordinate at all? <laughs> well, it's like was one of them the lookout, like on a walkie-talkie with the other one? You're like, oh, she's moving to the back of the house now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, general discussion. Yes. Where to begin? I mean, this opening sequence here, legendary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Parodied many times afterwards, but. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Screen 2 has a pretty good opening sequence, but I feel like this one still takes a cake. Yeah. I, it's perfect. I Although mean, there is the, the meta-ness of somebody getting stabbed in their seat in a the movie theater. It's pretty good for Screen 2. Yeah. Um, now, so the original title was Scary Movie. That's what it was yeah. sold at. I'm wondering... Had they already changed the title when production had begun? I don't think so, no, because I want to say I saw that Rose McGowan has a bottle of wine from the rap party that says Scary Movie on it. Okay, because, I mean, Scream comes off as a pretty no-brainer title. Yeah, yeah, it's much better than much Scary Movie. The beginning? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is extra meta-ness that it becomes the shitty parody series of oh, this movie God, don't get me started on those movies i just i don't understand why people like them they're so dumb yeah anyway um yeah this opening scene with the the short hair the short blonde hair i love that he calls her blondie at one point <laughs> i mean you could even say that's a movie reference in a way mm-hmm. 
I mean, the just the I want to know who I'm looking at. <laughs> that's not what you what? said. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's uh, what I want to know who I'm talking to. <laughs> the weird, uh, like misty pool outside on the patio. Like yes. I, I was always fascinated. And I, I guess they probably had to cut around some of this to get the rating and whatnot. But like, you kind of get a close up on Steve's face as he's grimacing. And cut to Casey being shocked, and then back to Steve, and we see like a little bit of like his guts fall out, but not much. Like, and I was wondered like how, how, how is that happening? Is there somebody like hiding behind him, like reaching around with a knife? You know? Yeah, because it seems like you're seeing his face as the cutting is beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she should be seeing him. Unless well. he's like being cut from behind somehow, you know, like through the yeah. chair. Yeah. But it's it's such a fascinating because you're so used to getting the facial reaction of the person and hearing the gross, wet sound. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, nope, we're still going to show you guts dripping down his leg. Mm-hmm. You know, one detail I like, I love when uh, – you know, his name wouldn't be Steve, would it? And she goes and ducks down by the TV and she unplugs the lamp. I was like that uh, to make it nice and dark as she's hiding. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> shout out to cordless phones <laughs> back in the day. Oh, because because the suspiciousness of a teenager having a cell phone is a plot point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, when this when this came out, I, I knew all of like four of my friends who actually had cell phones a couple of people had pagers but yeah and people most people had pagers phones. but my friends who had cell phones given to them by their parents for emergencies were forbidden to use yeah. it here's a cell phone for an emergency never use it even in an emergency it's like three dollars a minute don't <laughs> yeah. ever call anyone on that uh, i love the the noise that knives make in these movies it's just constantly like shing shing <laughs> Oh, I remember in the commentary they they had said that like they edited in like twenty three different sounds, including like a like a lion roaring. Although <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say the the final bonus round question, what door am I at? I feel like maybe yeah. maybe that was Stu. He could have done a little better there, you know. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that movie twenty goddamn times, Jason. That, yeah, yeah, I gotta mention that because like. I don't know about you, but I had the same reaction when I saw this. I was like, Jason. And then I was like, oh, shit, that's wrong. Like everybody just associates Jason with Friday the 13th. But actually, no, is you know, his mother. So I feel like they probably got a lot of viewers with that as well. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's one of the few examples where you could actually make that work. Mm -hmm. Though he's not even the killer in all of the subsequent, you know, Friday the 13th movies. Um, Yeah. It's just like I love the a, the uh, popcorn on the stove getting bigger and bigger. Oh, and then popping, and then catching late. on fire. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's I mean the gore of it isn't even what matters to me. It's it's the it's the tension. It's the suspense. Um, Steve, I don't I actually don't have a problem with Steve getting his guts ripped out. You know, seeing Casey at the end is not my favorite thing. I don't necessarily like see a woman like hurt like that, but. It's it's a great exercise in tension in a way that doesn't feel like malicious and gross, like a Walking Dead and a, and a barbed wire baseball bat to me. Um, it's not anywhere near the kind of torture porn we'd get in movies now. Yeah, it's, no. it's just a couple of like like wide shots where you see just some like red gore and some intestines. Yeah, nowhere well, I, nowhere near what we were used to these days. Well, and for the most part, throughout it, what's the most menacing aspect is his words. You know, 
It's it's just his voice. He's pretty much disembodied for a long time. Well, even um, even during the killing, he's seemingly not there. You know, it's like lights right. lights go off, something happens, lights come back on, his guts are leaking out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you really want to get into it, it seems physically impossible to do a lot of those stuff, even with the two of them. <laughs> yeah, really. Like stringing her up that quickly in the swing and the tree just makes no sense. But whatever. Um, and they're yeah, all about a, presentation. They are the theatricality. It's it's an amazing opening. Well, and I like how they. She's you know she's not totally stupid. Like she does stuff you'd want her to do. She gets a knife. She sneaks out the side door. She's mm-hmm. hiding. You know she's kind of backed up against the wall. You mm-hmm. know so she's not like waiting to get snuck up on. You know it's not like they just have her do something really dumb to get caught. It's which makes it more menacing. Well, like I'm, I, she's a character presented in this extreme circumstances, and I'm generally like I would have liked to know this character, mm-hmm. otherwise. And I think that's the biggest success of her. Well, I also wonder, like, the brief shots we see of you know the killer or killers, possibly more than one, mm-hmm. like the way they just run through with a knife, like the glimpses she gets of the killer. The killer's not just standing around; it's like running across the frame from like one room to another. I also mm-hmm. found that fascinating. Yeah. And then the getting stabbed and not being able to talk as her parents are like 20 feet away. Yeah. Oh, and, and like, it's not like she's hidden behind brush or anything. They're just low to the ground. It, that's what makes it even more hardcore mm-hmm. and sad. Um, and they just happen to like be looking at some flowers, like looking the other way. They don't yeah. see her. Yeah. I mean, I, I love, I love the ghost face killer just because I think it is such a, a Brilliant and now iconic look, though ruined by scary movie. Ruined by but scary movie. Yeah, it, it's not some bullshit. Michael Myers, Invincible. I like the running and, and the very human clumsiness of it, composed mm-hmm. of like the just like slow Terminator stroll to you. Yeah, there's no like I'm just going to walk and you'll keep falling down and some, somehow I catch up even though I'm walking yeah. and you're running. I mean, like the first attack on Sydney, she kicks the shit out of whoever it is. Well, I feel like we should not damn Wes Craven with faint praise. Like, it's a little, you know, horror movie schlocky, but I feel like he knows exactly what he's doing. He's giving you the low angle when you need it. He's framing the shot so the parents are always, like, looking the other direction. It's Like, it's never ridiculous. You're never like, oh, come on. How come you didn't see that? It's, mm-hmm. like, perfectly timed so that you're like, oh, they just missed it, you know? Yeah, and it's, it's funny. It's not... This is like one of the last times I'll ever heap so much fucking praise on Kevin Williamson. Mm-hmm. But like it's not like Wes Craven was a stranger to this. He is He's the an master. expert yeah. at what he does. But it's not like he hadn't been trying to do more metafictional horror stuff, more smart horror. Mm-hmm. I mean, New Nightmare, which New I Nightmare. think is super underrated. Um, and I hate like the Freddy movies. <laughs> but I think New Nightmare is fascinating. Um, well, also just the the visual – look of Casey she has this platinum blonde hair she has this kind of you know cream colored sweater on she's super pale like everything about her is so pale and then the blood on it it just it totally stands out you know it's like this really stark you Mm -hmm. know contrast I love the I love the use of her covering her mouth as like the big image for the posters especially the one I think you had found of uh the, the like TV show cast photo of them standing in front of it where they're all like in black. Mm-hmm. Like 
just her merged in with them. Uh, I don't know how successful they were in the marketing of like making you like the whole Janet Lee and Psycho thing. Like I'm pretty she- sure I didn't know when I saw this movie, and I didn't even see this movie when it came out. I saw this movie at like the discount theater like four months later with my sister, okay. and we were both like, "Oh my god, that was awesome!" <laughs> right, right. But of course, this is before the internet. Like it would have gotten spoiled, you know, today very yeah. quickly. I mean, so, I mean, initially she was cast to be Sydney. Then other commitments lessened her availability. Well, I, and, I think she she thought it would be better, too, if she was Casey. It'd be, like, yeah. a big shock. Because she was definitely the biggest star. She's yeah, a much yeah, bigger star. You know, she's a movie star as opposed to Nev Campbell, who's just, like, TV. Yeah, Party of Five. And, mm-hmm. and essentially a bunch of nobodies in the rest of the cast. Prior well, to I mean, Courtney Cox. But, yeah, otherwise. Well, I mean, like this wasn't this, like, right when Friends was... Mm. Maybe the end of like season, season two. Yeah, I mean, when, yeah, as far as like when they filmed it, though, yeah, it was probably pretty early. But I, I think she was somewhat big. Like, they initially were hesitant to cast her because of her character on Friends was like a nice role. So they must have known about it. <laughs> oh, I love Gail Weathers. <laughs> I love the, uh, that old detail of uh, when her parents pick up the phone and they can hear her. You know, yes. two people on one line. It's great. Cordless phones. Go down to the McKenzie's. I like that it's it's very subtle, but you realize that the father has seen uh, uh, Steve outside, which is why he he comes in from right. the other room with this like horror struck look on. When his he face. tries to send the wife down the street, to yeah, the he family. stops her. He's like, "Don't go that way." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, like I mean, I try to think about our youngest possible listeners. <laughs> to this podcast. I feel like they had to, at least in their youth, have had the landline and the cordless phone. And everything. Yeah. It's, it's, it's insane to think about like technological shifts just in my lifetime. Well, even before the cordless phone, you had the phone with the fucking like 50 foot cord on it. Like the little, if you were smart. Yeah. <laughs> you just take that everywhere. If you were a smart teenager growing up in a, in a family, yeah, you were like... Want to talk yeah, on the phone? You stretch that thing into the bathroom and have a conversation. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Good times. This is definitely <laughs> going to be a, a get-off-my-lawn podcast. Apologies mm-hmm. in advance. Mm-hmm. You kids don't even know. Um, <laughs> so I, I think I actually went and got this on iTunes because I wanted a good copy of it. Um, I want to say there existed in a, like a, a, an unrated cut that I had, I had like the VHS or DVD or whatever at some point of the unrated cut where the the little zoom to uh, uh, Casey here being hung with her guts hanging out. It's very quick in this in the standard cut. In the uh, unrated cut, it's like a instead of like zooming in quickly, it's very slow tracking in. So you really mm. see more of the gore. Not that it's really that gory. I mean, it's it's obviously like a a doll. Like it's not actually her. You know. I mean, like we're saying, like modern day gore standards, this really isn't that much. Right, right. And you can you can go on like the Wikipedia article and see the uh, the mock up they made for that that moment. Um, well, I guess my only complaint too. This is this is how much I love this movie. My only complaint is that the title is at the very beginning rather than right after the zoom in on her, and that they have the the title card that they have rather than the one that they use for the series going forward from screen mm-hmm. two on. Well, they, they change it up where they do the opening and then the title card in the later movies. Yeah. Yeah. The cold, probably the makes cold more open. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and this was a big deal. I feel like at the time to 
to not show the cast, like not have a cast list. Probably. Not have the credits. Yeah, this this was still back in the day where you usually had a title sequence. And I feel like, I mean, it's easy and right to shit on the Weinsteins for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But like stuff like this in the 90s, they were kind of like pioneers of the producing gang. Um, later, they be- went on to become like basically like Hollywood mafia. But uh, apparently they were given Wes Craven shit like when they saw the dailies like until he was like just like shut up and let me give you a rough cut of like the Casey scene at the beginning and then when they saw that they shut up which is funny because there was a bidding war for the script actually mm-hmm. and and Kevin Williamson signed with them because he thought that they would like be truer to yeah. the story whatever to the gore of it what have you um, and all the shit that they had to cut out like Craven was like put that shit back in because um, I guess there's like actual lines in the script like Steve's guts drip down his leg. <laughs> and the wine scenes were like, well, we're not so sure about that. Craven's like, it, that seems up. so quaint now. You know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> like saw five is just like, what if we had somebody's head explode and there you see their teeth go flying. Well, just the idea that someone would have to cut off their own foot, Yeah, you know, with a saw. Yeah. Which is why I think even like something the uh, uh, the movie that I will praise to my dying day, which I believe is Mission Impossible Four, mm-hmm. the opening to that movie is so much better than anything in any of the Saw movies. Because unfortunately, like poor Michelle Monaghan, the wife is threatened, but it's really about the other person having to watch and be helpless. Um, I, I just fucking hate Saw. I hate all that torture porn shit, and it's I know it's kind of you're you're dangling too close to it with horror general and at, at all but the thing i like about the horror movies is you get every genre you get every emotion you tend mm. to get romance because you have to have something that falls at the end well you need uh something to hang it together other than just like random acts of violence yeah because i mean horror isn't really horror until yeah you set the stage of all the other emotions mm-hmm. possible um should we talk about billy loomis a little bit good he he shows up to his girlfriend's bedroom to tell her he thought of her while watching the exorcism. <laughs> She's like, and he thought of me. <laughs> and then like he guilts her for being closed off after her mom's death less than a year earlier. Well, I like and then, the way he moves that conversation. Yeah. I was watching TV. The exorcist was on and thought about you and I and how we're edited for television. Yeah. It's so, it's, it's so very proto Dawson's Creek. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then suggests that he just he just wants to feel her up mm-hmm. while a, just a little on top of the clothes stuff. We're a very low tempo version of "Don't Fear the Reaper" place. <laughs> That's like with Casey's scene, that first scene in Cindy's bedroom. Like it tells you exactly the kind of movie you're gonna get. <laughs> um, by all means, though, please like join me in shitting on Skeet Skeet Ulrich. I just I have a problem with this character, and I'm sure we'll revisit this later. But like, I'm not sure who he's supposed to be. Is he the big man on campus, or is he like sensitive alt bro? Because it kind of seems like he's doing both at the same time. You know which like like he's, he's doing I'm, like I'm a real Johnny Depp like Edward Scissorhands guy some of the time. You know. Yeah, the character that I really wish we had as an actual character in this movie is the cheerleader from the bathroom. Oh, her. Him or his girlfriend. Like, the uh, yeah, yeah, the uh, uh, Stu's like butt boy, <laughs> buddy. Besides, such a more healthy therapeutic expression. Yeah. 
Uh, you are pathetic. Yeah, that whole scene. <laughs> that scene's a little overwritten. Um, also, Sydney has an Indigo Girls poster on her wall. This was back in the, the time of, um, what was that, the Lilith Fair? That was, that was like a huge thing back then. I still feel like she probably wouldn't have the Indigo Girls poster. Uh, maybe Sarah McLaughlin. Maybe Jewel. I, I don't know. My like. sisters like the Indigo Girls. I feel like they were pretty big back then. But you really think like that over like a, a Katie Lang or a, a Ani DeFranco? Well, I mean, I, I think Indigo Girls are a little more accessible than that. Man, you just remind me of something that I don't think of nearly enough anymore, mm. which is a little fair. fair. Yeah. <laughs> that was a that was a fun time in, yeah. in our musical history. But it was a fan I'm so glad it existed in the same time as like Lollapalooza and all that God, shit. Yeah. 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 Billy here such a scumbag right from the beginning. I, and I, I, I think the thing with him is I don't feel like there's an extra level. I feel like what we see is what we get in these scenes. You know, it's just like Sydney's, you know, the virgin and Billy wants to have sex. Like, I don't think there's a, a deeper, deeper layer you can really find here. Well, I mean, you could make the argument that the frustration is fueled into. Yeah. I don't really violence. call that a layer though. You know, no, <laughs> like, no. not like the way the other scenes have layers. True, true. And, and then she flashes him. No, so she says PG-13. Mm-hmm. So does she flash him her bra? Oh, I, this was back in the time where you could have like one nudity shot in a PG-13 movie. Really? Like nip? Dude, like back in like the 80s, like Clash of the Titans, there'd be like full frontal in a PG movie as long as it wasn't sexual. So yeah. Wow, okay. I, I was kind of wondering as I was rewatching this last night, is this an extra level of um, of meta in that it's like she somehow knows that beyond the fourth wall we're watching her back and there's well, sexual content that we can't see? I think that works as well. Yeah, I think there, that's that's probably the only meta moment in that scene. I mean, like, is Wes Craven sitting on the set at like 4 a.m. while like, actors are covered in corn syrup and he's just like, people will be talking about this for decades. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and I, I feel like as I'm looking at this uh, wide shot of like the next day, I can hear the score or the like, you know, like yeah. Marco Beltrami, not always a fan, uh, oh. sometimes not a fan, but in this movie, definitely a fan. Also great Wolverine score. Uh, but yeah, I love his score in this. It's really schlocky and wonderful. You know, there's been so many movies about it, but I, I want to say that I feel like to me, this is one of one of the most realistic depictions of the 24 hour news cycle played out <laughs> across an event. Yeah. Gail Weathers. Um, I love the neon green. That's perfect. It's so nineties. Oh, the fashion mm-hmm. is, I mean like Tatum's fashion is just gross. And it's so nineties. Uh, Jamie Kennedy wears lime green shoes in his first scene. Um, but Tatum, like I love, I, I do like Rose McGowan a lot. She doesn't look her most Rose McGowan in this. No, but this, this movie was definitely the beginning of a longtime crush on Rose McGowan for me. Well, because you know, here's the thing: defiance is always sexy, and mm. she is she's she epitomizes in some ways. I love when she's sitting there, like having her little you know walk and talk with uh, with Sydney, filling her in on the dirt. And Neff Campbell's like Casey Becker. She sits next to me in English. <laughs> Rose McGowan's like not, not anymore. anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tatum is great. We cut to the empty chair. <laughs> <laughs> not anymore. Uh, Got to give it up. There is a long shot here you might miss in the 
in the big like next day scene, it starts out in the super wide shot, cranes down, like shows people going into school, moves over to find Sydney walking up, and then follows her gaze over to Gail Weathers doing her report. And you have Gail in the background doing her like her stand up. And in the foreground, you have this top story t-shirt on the right side of the screen, all one shot, nice, very nicely set up and framed. What I completely forgot that this guy, W. Earl Brown, who plays Kenny. Oh, my God, they killed Kenny. Mm-hmm. Um, like, he's appeared in so many things since this, you know, in the background as a character actor. Yeah, he, um, he's he's one of the hey, it's that guys for sure, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. What did you think of uh, Principal Henry here? He's like... Uh, caressing put, the, the chin? Yeah, putting a hand on the shoulder, caressing the chin. Well... Was that just the 90s? It- like. What makes it though is they cut over to like the sheriff and Dewey's reaction. Like they mm-hmm. notice it. It's yeah. not right. You know, I didn't realize till I was watching this last night how over the top the principal is. In this. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's definitely a precursor to whatever the Fonz is doing in Arrested Development. Just yeah. more menacing. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, you know, what I love about this movie is that there are so many little moments where, and there are moments for people like us who are looking for it, where Wes Craven and Kelly Williamson are like. Hey, here's a little like maybe this guy's the killer, you know? Like everyone. throw a little suspicion. And it's not super obvious. It's just subtle enough. Like with the chin thing and the way they're both kind of like, hmm, you know, like that's just like a little thing you might notice and like think about to yourself. Well, and you know, shockingly, horror movies are just like real life. The patriarchy mm-hmm. is everywhere and they are bad. <laughs> and they get away with shit like this. Yeah. Um, I mean, I wanted that Campbell to turn to the camera and be like, I got the worst fucking principle. <laughs> Oh, I mean, it's not time to talk about Dewey yet, but we will need to talk about Dewey. But um, one thing I was thinking about, they have this like scene by the lunch fountain, the lunch by the fountain. Why is Randy friends with them? Like who is Randy friends with in this clip? I, so here's my, here's my headcanon based on the video store scene. I never thought about this till last night. What if Randy was originally friends of Stu? Mm-hmm. Stu met Billy and it started to slowly move to the Billy camp. I could maybe see that. It also seems like Randy might be like old friends with Sid. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like longtime friends with Sid, maybe like well, the like, next door for a while, something like that. Phone call friends? Yeah. Like, I mean, they obviously, like, she she thinks it's him calling her, messing mm-hmm. up front scene after this. So I could, I could see definitely that. Um, I'm trying to remember. Um, Tatum has practice. Was that cheer practice? I don't remember if they or actually something said something else. I missed it. I think it must be something else because she's not wearing a cheerleader outfit ever. Um, but I, I don't get the feeling that like Stu's like on the football team. I no. think he's just like class clown guy. I don't oh. think Billy is in any sports either. I never could imagine. It. And I, like I said, so I watched Scream 2 first. So I hmm. knew who the killers were. It's referenced in that movie. Yeah. So for me, I didn't get the 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 guessing what have you, you know what I mean? Like watching this the first time. Um, so it, it is so just, obvious in a way, but I think they throw so much misdirection that they can fool you. Yeah. 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 But like, there's also with that is like the casting intent. So mm-hmm. I'm also a guy. So I keep thinking like, is Matthew Lillard cast to be like the cool guy? Is he like the, the handsome charisma guy? I think I don't he's buy supposed that. to be class clown guy. That's, that's the okay. vibe I get. And that Billy is supposed to be cool guy. Like, like none of these people are actually slotted into your typical like cliche 
archetypes of like, you know, like none of them are the jock or the cheerleader or well, the nerd Billy, specifically. Shouldn't Billy be like the leader of the bad boys just because like obviously Steve is like the cool guy. Steve is the jock. Yeah, if anyone. Which, but the, these all seem like they're like cool kids, but not not in like a, a movie cool kid type of way. I'm so glad that our friend Steve is here because never in my life in earshot of him would I ever say Steve is the cool guy. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> um, oh, God. Our friend is a notorious Lothario dirtbag. Notorious. Yeah. Oh. Uh, but yeah, I do wonder like why these people are friends. Like I, I feel like it. Yeah, it must be something where Randy's longtime friends with Sid, and maybe like, kind of like, friends with Stu, but never like Stu and Billy are like better friends or something like that. And he just he's well, part of the clique at a certain point. You know, you just hang out with those people. I feel like cliques of friends though are so much better defined on movies and TV shows than they are like in real mm-hmm. life. Well, I mean, it's funny because you would think like, oh, Randy's totally the odd one out, like no significant other. But he seems to be getting along with the women pretty well at the party. So I don't think he's supposed to be the complete like this is the super nerd with no friend, you know, no girlfriend prospects or anything, you know. Right, right. I mean, obviously has a crush on Sydney, but I don't think that's like his only characteristic necessarily. He's not like that guy that I hate on Supergirl, Gwyn. Oh, God. Fuck that guy. Why? I hate that guy so much. Yeah. Oh, and then I had to see that five years movie where he he shits on Anna Kendrick, and I hate him even more. Is long. he the main dude in that? He's the main dude in that. Wow. So unfortunately, I have to watch him sing. So that guy went from co-starring as Anna Kendrick to being like the not side piece of Supergirl. Well, and he, I mean, he basically tells Kara like, "I'm a nice guy, but you have to like <laughs> me." Ah. Yeah. Uh, can I just say, take a knife. And he slid him from Goring to sternum. (laughs) Stu is great in this. You know, I was reading that he ad-libbed a lot of his lines. And I feel like you can tell because there are are certain scenes in this movie where it sounds a whole lot like Kevin Williamson. Right. Like that that bathroom cheerleader and like, you know, preppy chick scene that's like a little overwritten. Whereas Mm -hmm. I feel like Stu, like Matthew Lillard's like improving or ad-libbing enough. And Randy and uh, Jamie Kennedy, for that matter, too, that like they cut through that a little so it doesn't all sound like the same writing voice. But just picture Matthew Lillard went from like this to things like SLC Punk to being eventually the guy who George Clooney's wife leaves him for in <laughs> Descendants. Yes. Which, I mean, just think about that. Yeah. In what world? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that that factors into your your theory that like Clooney's miscast a lot, you know, like like in yeah. Up in the Air, for instance, yeah, because oh of my. stuff like that, like like Clooney's wife is leaving him for Matthew Lillard. Like, what's going on? I'll buy it. <sighs> but yeah, I love I love it's very teenager esque for them to be really inappropriate. And, and make a bunch of jokes about it. You know, did you really put her liver in the mailbox? Like, like no tact at all. Cause that's totally something teenagers would do. Well, and, and that part becomes part of your personality too. Like I said, uh, you probably talked about like TTMM before, but I cannot exist in a social situation where you tell me somebody died. And eventually if I'm not saying, gotta it, make a I'm joke. Like, <laughs> Oh no, I'm like, I'm like, you know, fingernails in my palm bleeding. Mm-hmm. I want to say, how did they die? Mm-hmm. But know? also like, knee-jerk reaction to 
make light, not necessarily their death, but just like try to lighten the mood, I guess. Yeah. That's I feel not like, how you become head of the department. Yeah. No. Oh, and, and I got to mention liver alone. Like I'm pretty sure I might've like gotten like grounded or in trouble with my mother for just saying liver alone, like over and over and over and over again as a teenager to the point remember, where she was just like, go in your room. I remember coming over to your house to watch this movie. Mm-hmm. And your mom was so uncomfortable about two young men wanting to watch this movie that she washed dishes. <laughs> oh, that's for two her move. Yeah. That's how you knew mom was upset. She'd just start washing dishes forever. Like, you can't possibly own this many dishes. <laughs> mind, mind you, the you know, the TV's right next to the kitchen. So it's like yeah. it's a distraction to have somebody blasting that sink the whole time. Yeah. But it's like also, I knew your family had a dishwasher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You can't. You don't own enough dishes to be washing them for an hour and a half. Well, and you know, we're watching this at my place because I had the VHS, and I'm not joking. Like, I literally watched this movie probably about 50 times in my senior year of high school. Like, it would just be like, "What should we do? Let's watch Scream." Okay. Well, just oh my fucking god! Like, think about the fact that what did this come out like '96? Yeah. In 2016. 20 years later, you bought this on iTunes, even though you probably had a like, torrented copy for a while. Mm-hmm. Like back then. I would go to Blockbuster and buy the used VHSs. Yes. That was my fucking move. I had such yep. a great collection of VHS movies. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you know, this is somewhat timely we're doing this movie now. It's coming up on the 20th anniversary. I, I predict in about a month you're going to get a whole bunch of hot take think pieces on, like, Scream 20 years later and all that. So I think yeah. we're a little ahead of the curve here. Yeah, remember that Entertainment Weekly? Mm-hmm. Remember that. Well, this movie... This movie makes very economic use of the uh, reporter as exposition mm-hmm. to kind of fill us in on the backstory, like with uh, Sid's mom and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, I wonder too, jumping ahead just a little bit to come back and we'll come back. Mm-hmm. Like, the morning after the punch in the face, when Sydney comes <laughs> to Gail and talks about cotton and all that stuff, I was thinking about this last night too. Was that meant to like also get you thinking Sydney could be the killer? She could be a little schizo or something. Mm-hmm. It's just another little little something, yeah. Although I don't know. I mean, she gets attacked, so you'd have to be thinking like way ahead of the typical game for you to be rationalizing how she could have gotten attacked, but still be the killer. This is still this is still pre success too, and like yeah, you, you fight. You- you wouldn't have been thinking maybe in screen place. two you'd start thinking that way, but not in screen one. Like you're not trained to think that way yet. Yeah, there's especially a thing where you're supposed to think she imagined the killer in the, the play, mm-hmm. David Warner. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, um, and my and just the idea, like it's a whodunit where like the the trick on you is that there's two of them, you know? And so that's how that's how you can, you know, if you're really watching and paying attention, you might get confused because you're like, Oh, I'm pretty sure it's Billy, but then oh that happened. So how could it be Billy, you know? It's funny because, I mean, I know that there's like this like players theater oeuvre troupe of like the male current actors that I fucking despise that we Mm -hmm. talk about in this podcast. Jai Courtney, Garrett Hedlund. Jai Courtney, Miles Teller. Who's Um, the other guy? I always forget. There's Garrett Hedlund, Jai Courtney, and like one other dude who's in there. Oh, Sam Worthington. Yeah. Oh yes, and and I'm gonna go ahead and throw the win from Supergirl in there too mm-hmm. somewhere, getting the, getting the rest of them water. Um, but like you know, in the '90s, Lucas uh, uh, Skeet Ulrich would have been on there. I was at Lucas Haas for some reason. <laughs> Skeet Ulrich would be on there. there. <laughs> to the point where, like in Screen Two, I was like, ah, notorious piece of shit Jerry O'Connell is an upgrade <laughs> to me. 
<laughs> uh, we'll get to him. Yeah. Uh, I love the, just the perfect, the timing in this movie is perfect. The way you just exhale as she's closed the, the door and locked it before the killer jumps out of her closet, you know, like oh, yeah, yeah. The, the cleverness to have like snuck in and hidden the closet. And then the perfect timing of just when she's locked it, that's when he shows up. Well, and, and that's the thing too, is you always have to play like the shot where the actors on the left and they open a door and they're mm-hmm. looking into a, a room or a closet. And you know that as soon as that door shuts again, the killer will be on the other side of it. And they well, do I, that a couple of times. I think there's like, like uh, Wes Craven just has a sixth sense in the editing process. He knows exactly where to put those moments, you know, exactly to time it just right for when the killer should pop out, you know, for, for how to, you know, play you along until just that moment. Um, I, I feel like some modern directors, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with the horror movie, the horror genre these days, but they're not doing something right. I think we're still at the tail end of like some kind of, bullshit like old ghost in the house well there's a lot of like indie horror like high concept stuff now that i don't know i'm just not into oh like the witch yeah yeah i mean that's the thing is it it comes in these gross clumps like you had the urban legends and all that Mm -hmm. shit after this um but yeah that that second attack oops the one the first one on cindy i i love this movie because she has to explain to the the killer and us the logical flaw of all horror movies where the big breasted <laughs> girl runs upstairs instead of out the front door. And then she does. And then, and then she's forced into the same scenario. Mm. She's also bold as shit because her mother died. She's traumatized. A girl died. Yeah. And she steps out on the porch and is like, I call your fucking bluff, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that that's a very tense scene the first time you watch it because you're like, damn. Uh, although I do have to wonder, what was the end game? if their first attack on Sydney works here. Is it like, still a few days before the, the one year anniversary? Yeah. Like what were they going to, like, were they really just going to try to scare her or. Well, is this, is this just one of them? It's like, this is just stew. Um, also the one to me, like factual error of the nineties. If mm-hmm. your phone is dead, so is your internet. You're not IMing nine one one or whatever. Yeah, I wish you had a special ISDN line or something. I mean, back in the day, like nine one one chat on her computer. Yeah, yeah. I had Juno email. <laughs> you had to dial up to send your email and then mm-hmm. dial up to like any email you were getting. God. Oh, and then just the fact that Billy has a cell phone makes him suspicious. Like, you watch it now and you're like, "What? It's just a phone." But like, no, it's like. At the time, it's like, why would you have a cell phone? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Also, there's a uh, – we're talking about the police station. There's a boob inspector hat hanging off one of the computers there. <laughs> Is that um, Dewey's? I, maybe. Um, it's interesting that we get the the costume from Dewey when we find out that this costume mm-hmm. isn't so much in the movie referencing Edward Munch as uh, – was it called Father Death in, on the packaging? I mean I um, guess – it was like a real mask, and then they asked the prop department to make something similar. But yeah, like the real mask is based on screen, but never ref- the, the screen, the painting, but never directly references it. And then this one, I guess, is just a, a you know pastiche of the mask. I feel like this series for us should end with us at least doing like the pilot for the show. But that I want to say that wasn't there a thing where. 
they couldn't do they couldn't afford the rights to the mask for the show. So they I don't even know. I don't know if it was a rights issue or they want to be different. I can't say I care about the show at all personally. I'm I'm slightly curious just because I know people kept trying to point out to us um, that the show seemed to like cast a lot of shade on PLO. So I don't know if I want to watch the show in total, but I yeah, let, let's see a scream last seven seasons. Let's just see. <laughs> I don't think so. Although they did a Halloween special or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, but then we have Deputy Dewey. Yeah, Deputy Dewey first screaming at the door, and then later the, like you got to leave Tatum, and she's like, "Chill out, she's staying with us tonight." And he's like, "Well, does Mom know?" Yeah, he is. <laughs> yes, Dewey. He's everything that I wanted from uh, Ossifer Toby. Yes. Yeah, really. This guy's putting Ossifer Toby to shame. Um, also, there's a shocking lack of forensic tests done in that ghost face mask. Oh, I know. They're just handling it. <laughs> <laughs> putting their paws all over it. Uh, but yeah, Dewey with his like cheesy mustache, which really makes me think, why did Toby never have one of those mustaches? Oh, shit. Like the cop Keegan mustache. Keegan mustache? Yeah. Send us your best photoshops of Keegan out of a mustache. Mm-hmm. Why does he not have one in King Cobra? Yeah, um, I don't know. Just not the style, I guess. Yeah, and then you get the uh, the kind of hilarious mini cameo by Liev Schreiber as Cotton Weary. Yeah. Back before he, I mean, he was very indie back then. It was yeah, not yeah. It was not a big name yet. And I guess they, you know, they lucked out or whatever by like convincing him to do that cameo. Um, and he's got like the weird cotton weary hair. But speaking of hair, um, mm. Billy's dad, what is going on with this hair situation here? Bangs. Yeah, those are bangs for days. <laughs> this dad, man, that hair. I mean, where did they find this guy? He's doing hand to hair acting like Case do. <laughs> he looks a little just like a skosh, like Harry Hamlin, only with bangs. Like if David Cassidy thought he was Harry Hamlin? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, that that is a hairstyle. Well, it's like it almost is lost in the moment because there's a second there where both him and the sheriff are like a little suspicious of Billy. Mm-hmm. It's lost because you can't see his eyes under all those bangs. <laughs> yeah. Well, so in this scene, Billy, he's like looking over his shoulder, like just just so hurt, so wounded by Sydney, you know, like sitting in the other room. And I'm just like, what? Where is this character coming from? Is is he sensitive guy or not? Because he seems like he's acting like this. He's just crushed right now. But then he's supposed to be cool guy as well, you know? Yeah, yeah. I kept waiting for him to like write her some poetry. He's not you like know. glaring. He's just like, oh, how could you do this to me? Sensitive guy who's dressed up like Johnny Depp and Crybaby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Fucking Billy. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, just Tatum just emasculating Dewey here, you know, as they leave and everyone laughing at him. I love it. Yeah. I, love the, I love the way he takes it. Like there's a way you could play Dewey where he's like just that guy who's like trying to layer on the extra machismo and be like a dick to, to compensate. But that's not Dewey, you know, no, Dewey's just kind of a dork and <laughs> he's like fighting with his sister. He's sweet. He's earnest. He has a little bit of guile, um, but yeah, he's not. He's not what I would call like necessarily a bad dude. No, he's just obviously like a little. 
little young, young maturity for his age, I guess, you know, like, yeah, he's, he's, I mean, he lives at home, obviously. <laughs> well, I mean, he was 24 for a whole year before he was 25. <laughs> That's like his line. Yeah. Yeah. I'll send uh, you a copy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So the next morning, which I love that the uh, the mom is like watching the news report. Well, you got to mention that the call she gets, the phone call. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then they, the fact that you're wondering, could he do that one call from jail and then they follow it up later, you know? Which doesn't make sense to me because you're past the one phone call point, you know? I guess, Yeah. Um, so it's it's got to be like Stu, who's obviously not with his girlfriend. Which, mm-hmm. first of all, how did Stu get Tatum? That's nuts. I I mean, I guess he's funny, you know. Is is he wealthy and funny? Because that would help me personally. Um, I mean, the here here's my headcanon for that. They've been dating since they were like in eighth grade. He was just mm-hmm. like the tall, funny guy. Maybe she wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. like the it girl then or something, you know? Um, and so that they're, they're one of those couples that like had sex way too early in high mm-hmm. school and they just became like a unit. Like that was just their thing. They were just together no matter what. She was like the girl who like super developed over summer one year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then everyone like loved her. But, but she was already with Stu and that was just that. Yeah. 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 I think those relationships are Granted, that conflicts with the whole uh, Steve backstory and whatnot, but whatever. Right, right. Oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> so seemingly the whole the whole plan like it hinges on Billy spending the night in jail so the phone call can be made to Sydney yeah. at the house. Even though he was already going to get released because of the, the phone records and whatnot, yeah. Because right. the idea that a teenager could have a cell phone, like, off the grid is just unheard of. Yeah. Right, right. Like this right. is before the world of burner phones and whatnot. <laughs> Deputy Dewey, not a lot of trigger discipline. No. <laughs> Coming out ready to fire. <laughs> I love that he answers the phone. <laughs> Hello. This is also we should talk about. This is the the start of the world of romance between, <laughs> yeah, between Dave Marquette and Courtney Cox. Courtney Cox, yeah. Which was like, were they still together when they did Scream 4? I can't remember if they, I think want to say they were separated by then. Or like maybe was, soon after. Yeah, I think that was the end. Mm-hmm. Which is juicy. I love that they did that movie. Mm-hmm. If they were already separated. You get the Linda Blair cameo. Oh, There's, yeah. there's a lot yeah, well, of just the, like horror movie like lore in this. The the Dewey's like, it's school. You'll be safe here. And then Linda Blair comes running up a microphone <laughs> in her face. People have a right to know, yeah. Uh, well, it, it, it's kind of funny too because Sydney, you know, hates Gail for all the lies she said about her and her mother, and yet Gail was right about Con's innocence all along. Yeah, the the phone call setting that up, the phone call she got the night before suggested that uh, she fingered the wrong man again. Oh. Um, what do you think about Gail's a hair? Like this is some some '90s news reporter bangs here. I would say Gail's hair gets better in the sequel. Oh, way better! Yeah, yeah. It yeah. gets worse Scream, in Scream Three. Scream Two, her hair is top notch. Yeah, yeah. It gets worse in Scream Three. Nobody looks good in Scream Three. Um, no. That is a shitty fucking movie. Oh, um, 
I enjoy, I'm going to enjoy burning that haunted house to the ground. Um, I, I'm not going to enjoy watching that movie. I'll tell you that. You know what the worst part of it is? The Patrick Dempsey of it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, the worst line in movie history. I don't even remember it. What's your favorite horror, or horror movie or scary movie? I don't remember that. And he says, my life. Oh, God. See, I only saw that movie once, and that, that was enough for me. We saw that movie, I want to say, after like a, a road trip night with no sleep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love it. It was one of those. I was going to say real quick, general, general listeners, it was one of those things where we had been up all night. We were so excited to see this movie for some reason that mm-hmm. we had to see it right then on opening day. So we bought tickets like an hour before the showing, went to the theater, fell asleep in the theater. Napped for a while. Woke up in time to see it. It's not like we missed a part of it or something like that. Yeah. We were 18 and we were weird movie nerds. So yeah. get the fuck off my back. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I, I like Stu's using uh, Tatum's mirror. By her locker, and then I'm always like, every time I watch this scene, I'm like, that would fucking hurt to get whacked in the forehead with the lollipop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stu really just takes it. Well, yeah. So then Billy gets out of jail. He shows up. He talks to his girlfriend. He wants her to get over her trauma and just be like DTF again. I think you've had time to get over it. Yeah. <laughs> Which she's like, well, and like she accurately is like, really, we're, we're having this conversation right now. Like he's like, he's just a little too over the top. Well, it's like unbeknownst to all of us, he's setting up the ending of the movie and the sequel at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course you get the scene, which I don't dislike. It is over the top with uh, Principal Hembry. He's like a, about to attack them and saying how they should be gutted and hung up, so people can see their insides. Like what the fuck? Nineties principles. Yeah. Your entire thieving pouring generation. <laughs> um, I love that he makes the two guys like keep the masks on as he like mm-hmm. swing swings those scissors all over their faces. And then he just expels them both like unilaterally. Yeah. You're gone. Yeah. Also, there's no physical way that they could knock on the door and then disappear completely. Each time he opens it. Yeah, don't worry about that. <laughs> They're just really good at that. Do you think this is actually the killer in the bathroom? Um, I don't know, and I love the ambiguity of it. This I, was the scene that that they uh, that Kevin Williamson wanted to cut, and Wes Craven was like, "No, you need this scene absolutely," and I think he's right. Probably it is a little oh, like the the cheerleaders a little absurd, and the other characters constantly just like, "Oh my god." Where did you get that? You know, like over and over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like this is Billy or Stu just because the cleverness to stand on top of the toilet seat and wait and wait. Like to me, that that suggests some malevolence that I don't think your average pranker would have. Like it's oh, too smart. So, so Stu's like, I don't understand why I'm doing this. And Billy's like, trust me. I know my girlfriend. At mm-hmm. some point during the day, she's going to have to take a shit. You're just going to have to chill out in there. Yeah. So I want you to spend five hours in the women's bathroom stall. Trust me, it'll be worth it. You're going to hear some real crazy shade. Well, I mean, the other possible way is they had an eye on her, saw her go into the stall, snuck into the bathroom real quick, you know, something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, to, I, I love the the building tension as she keeps checking under the stall. Cause like, that's what you would do. You know, like you're, mm-hmm. you're smart girl. She's going to keep looking under the stall. Somebody here. 
and then the the boot steps down and then the costume slowly lowers it's like that's the sort of clever move that the screen killer would do oh i i totally challenge somebody to do a super cut of every movie that involves like somebody the tension of checking every mm-hmm. stall in a public bathroom yeah like just the research alone would kill you <laughs> yeah and then we got the dorky flirting here after that between gail and dewey of course she would use like her target demographics like her q rating to like, flirt <laughs> information oh like she's obviously using him and he's just like that's fine i'll give yeah, you some yeah. info yeah i mean he's not he's like he's not totally stupid oh he, he says that they haven't ruled out any suspects you know basically implicating the father like that would be like her next breaking story like breaking news you know like the father is a potential suspect or something like that but even get weathers isn't like full-on nancy grace shitty Oh yeah, this was this was, you know, this was what we thought horrible journalism was back in the nineties. We we mm-hmm. we had no idea. Yeah, even Gail Weathers has scruples. Yeah, it can get worse. Mm-hmm. Well, and the funny thing is that she's actually fighting for a man's innocence, which is like the exact opposite of a of a Nancy Grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really. <laughs> um, yeah, so then we get the Wes Craven cameo dressed as Freddy Krueger, which is. <laughs> funny on a level that I can't even process. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's so um, many little little in jokes like that in the movie. Oh, they referenced the Richard Gere gerbil story. I love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Tatum's like, you can only hear it so many times and you have to believe it's true. <laughs> well, and I guess this is the point where some people for a split second might be like, Oh, it's a principal. Oh no, wait, he's just messing around, you know? Yeah. <laughs> And then he gets killed for no reason other than that uh, nobody had been killed for a while in the movie. We needed to kill someone. Right. Right. So the teens were like desperate to see the fawns get murdered. <laughs> I mean, it is a very cool shot. The uh, reflection in his eye with Ghostface leaning in. You got the, yeah. the classic person hiding behind the door. You know, good stuff here. I have to assume that, that uh, Randy was shitting them about where Hembry's body ended up. Just because the logistics of that are insane. Yeah, how do you get him out there? Yeah, and how does yeah. nobody notice in yeah, the daylight? Exactly. Yeah, I guess you have to assume that they they took care of it. Billy must have done it, I guess, because Stu, you know, this must be Billy doing the kill because Stu's with Tatum at this point. Right. Just, just, just shitting on anyone doing like the math of who's where at what time. <laughs> Well, I just love this bit, this scene between, uh, you know, the Richard Gere gerbil story scene where Tatum is to like, honestly, like Sid, there were, there were some rumors that like your mom was a total hoe. Like, sorry, <laughs> sorry to have to be the one to tell you this, but. Well, and then, and then the movie gets like almost too funny for me, just with the mention of Wes Carpenter. <laughs> it's like. And then, like, cut to like pan over their shoulders, and there's like a ghost face killer sneaking around. Yeah, yeah, during daylight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even though they seemingly they'd already planned to kill her tonight, so yeah, I don't know. I get, I really think like stuff like that is just to remind you that there's a killer, like to, to right. try to like keep the tension high because they know that it's going to be thirty minutes before the horror begins again. Unless these dudes are just like so emboldened when they get to wear the outfit. Um, then, of course, we get yet another reference to the town of the dreaded sundown. And, of course, to me, a hilarious exchange of 
we all want to be the Meg Ryan back when Meg Ryan was Meg Ryan, <laughs> but we'll probably end up being the Tory Spelling. <laughs> well, and like, how much of a dick are people to Randy at the video store? Like, this one dude is just like, watch it. And then, like, Stu shows up and knocks all the movies out of his hand, and everybody just laughs at him. Yeah. Well, he's been fired twice. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. What? <laughs> what brings him back? Like, this, like, are they like, holy shit, your knowledge? This was also the '90s. This was like mm-hmm. the Tarantino, like, yeah, the, 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 the video store guy. Knowledge, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I uh, I got a little upset just that Sydney referring to herself as sexually anorexic, but I love Tatum for you know rightfully saying Billy and his penis don't deserve you. I thought it was interesting. You see a callback later the way um, Stu kind of like hangs his 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 chin on uh randy's shoulder as like billy's like you know behind him as billy's like facing him they kind of mm-hmm. do the same thing later you know mm-hmm. um yeah i like that you know you can kind of see their weird little way they like team up you know and bully there i mean i'm not saying they're gay or anything but i'm saying they definitely have masturbated in the same hot tub together well i know there is like uh speculation and like certain readings of this movie where like, you know, people speculate that they're in a relationship. I mean, I guess it's there if you want to read into it, but I don't think it's really that strong in the text, you know? No, but I mean, I think you're definitely supposed to, to pick up a little bit of that Leopold and Lowe Hitchcock and rope vibe. I mean, so it's definitely for you to pick up on in some way. Well, um, these two definitely like have Billy and Stu. They have like a weird, like the way they bully him together, the way they team up on him, they're kind of like smiling at each other as they do it. Like there's a, a nastiness, like a meanness to it, you know, mm-hmm. where they're I like, see. they're I each, see. they're each, uh, like feeding off the other as they do it. Yeah. Which it comes to its, its height at them stabbing mm-hmm. each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if this, if this whole town is on curfew, why is this party allowed to happen? Is it just because Deputy Dewey is chaperoning? Oh, before we get there, can I just say, it's the millennium. Motives are incidental. I love that. <laughs> oh, Randy. Poor Randy. I remember the the bullshit motive line from Scream 2. I don't remember if there even was one in Scream 3. Oh, yeah. I can't, I, like I said, I only saw it once. The um, movie's garbage. Yes, it is. What did I want? Oh, um, so the we already talked about the, the ice cream scene, but one thing I liked about this, right at the end of the scene, the cop or the sheriff, he drops a cigarette, stamps it out, and, and he's got those boots. You know, everybody seems to wear these boots. Right, right. So it's just a little something. If you're paying real close attention, you might think like, hmm, was that to throw me off or was that I'm clever because I caught that, you know? Well, after he's just told you how the dad is clearly the killer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And also <laughs> right after uh, Stu pushed that theory yo i think it's her pops man i mean why can't right. they find her dad right the dad who's just like he bursts into her room to be like let me tell you this exposition about where i'm gonna mm-hmm. be that i probably already told you a thousand times uh, but yeah i love that uh it's curfew deputy dewey has been kind of put in charge of keeping an eye on uh, on Tatum in Sydney here, and what does he do? He takes them to a house party, and he's like, mm-hmm. "They'll be fine." Yeah, bunch of teens drinking drugs. They're gonna be all right. I mean, they're basically uh, uh, dealing with their grief through having like a like a film fest. Yeah, 
he's just gonna like hang out outside and like try to hit on the reporter. Those yeah. kids are gonna be fine in there. Yeah. Stew in the smoking jacket. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice house. Oh yeah. I love the house. It's it's big enough that there's plenty of room for people to run around in. It's got like a crazy uh stained glass like a uh, window and uh, up top too. Mm. But yeah, it's like in these party scenes, it's seemingly Randy. Like he's like kind of like he he's dancing with a girl and he twirls her around in the background like some like cute blonde. So like he must not be just the total nerd, you know? <laughs> like he's getting on. He's like high fiving dudes and and whatnot. Like he's getting on pretty well. Well, this was the this was the thing about this kind of holier than thou nerd in mm-hmm. the nineties. Yeah, you had the righteous knowledge. Anyone who didn't possess it, like, fell below you. It was like a kind of a, a high fidelity thing. Yeah. We look down upon you because you don't know what we know. Um, which is funny because obviously it brings you a certain kind of confidence. You just don't channel it into a social way or appreciate people for their differences. I mean, instead you you presumably have a record store or you would get on the internet and type things like, like worst sequel ever. <laughs> but this ever. was before he, really even the internet had taken off. I mean, it existed, but not nearly to where it was even a couple like, years later. Yeah, ain't it cool news? Bullshit. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. This is like the dawn of like fucking Harry Knowles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> Dewey brings Gail into the party. Like, why? <laughs> <laughs> like it's like, like a like a high class party. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like so proud to like show her off. He's like so obviously being used. And yet, yeah. you know, she's a little charmed by it, I think. Well, it's it's a high school party with like mm-hmm. drinking and presumably drugs. Well, and I mean, it's just like, no, I'm just a cool cop. It's all right. Gail Weathers probably lives in either New York or L.A., right? Right, right. Like she's like a big city girl and this fucking rube is just yeah. like so over the top for her. But, uh, you know, it, I think it has a little bit of an effect. You know, she's not yeah. totally looking down at him. She's kind of charmed by it. Yeah, there's an earnestness to him that, mm-hmm. you know, she's not getting covering the Sharon Stone stalker back in New York. I love the bit um, when Stu comes in and announces that Gail Weathers is there. If you look in the background, there's these two dudes who hear it and they're just like, yeah. And they like totally high five each other. Like it's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> uh, you don't get a lot of it here, but like, again, if you get a chance to go watch Can't Hardly Wait, watch the background characters because that movie had to be edited from an R <laughs> to a PG-13. So certain elements had to be CGI, like the beer bomb mm-hmm. had to be turned into a red balloon. And so there's a guy in the background of that at the party who's like, check out my fucking red balloon. I wonder if there's an unrated cut of that. Like, there should be. Oh, I would love to see it. Mm-hmm. I really would. I love the bit where Dewey takes away the kid's beer. And he's like, nah, I'm just kidding. Like, <laughs> just don't drive. It's cool. <laughs> he's, he's a cool no cop. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's not like also scamming on the high school girls, though. Yeah, yeah. Give him credit for that. He's with a you know a lady his own age or, or thereabouts. Well, this is the thing I never thought about too. Is presumably Gail's a little bit older than him. Probably a little. Yeah. Maybe not much though. I mean, Courtney Cox wasn't that old when they were doing this. Probably right. late twenties, I'd guess. Yeah. And she's just like, hi, I'm, you know, TV famous 
Gail Weathers just chilling with you teens as I hide this camera. Oh, teens. Mm-hmm. Maybe 20 years before teens would go to heckle Eric Trump on the streets. Um, Yeah, like, then then Tatum gets attacked. Poor Tatum. And Poor Tatum and getting attacked in that very cold garage. Yes, very cold garage. Mm-hmm. Tatum is, uh, let's face it, she is kicking ass until she tries to climb through that doggy door. But also, she's also, I feel like, knocking it out of the park in the film reference arena. Like she has the great joke of what is this? I spit on your garage. <laughs> yeah. Fucking brilliant. Like Tatum's well, not a dummy. Yeah, like, you know, slamming the the uh freezer door and Ghostface's face there, like throwing beer bottles at him. Like she is winning this even after she gets cut up until the the tragic fucking doggy door in the garage, which really like she could fit through that. Like that's kind of just like you have to like you have to suspend disbelief just a little bit that somehow she got caught in that because she can very clearly, she's tiny, she could have fit through that if she needed to. Well, especially since later on in the news, man, Sydney makes her way through a hole that's even smaller. Mm-hmm. But I would say, as gruesome as it is, I would like to show this scene to somebody if I ever get a a garage door. I want <laughs> I want to be like, I want it to be strong enough to carry a body up halfway through it. Yeah, I know. It's like... How much horsepower does this garage door opener have? Let's just say hypothetically, hypothetically, I've got like a half dead teenage girl halfway through my doggy door. I'm the pretty sure you put like her. two pounds of pressure on a garage door opening and it just stops. But yeah, yeah. these guys, <laughs> this is like before safety standards or something. I want the real creep was like, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to cost you an extra $5. I love the yeah. <laughs> the voicelessness of the killer in this as she's as it just keeps shaking his head. Like, is this the part where you kill me? It's like nods, you know. Well, that's what's I'm sorry, that's what's so fascinating about him is in person the killer is silent. Mm-hmm. It's only when he has like the phone or the remove well, that and there's he something, has a voice. There's something a little bit mournful about it too, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, like nodding like, yes, sorry, I have to kill you now. <laughs> And this is this is right before that period of time where I feel like it was acceptable to like like Chuck Palahniuk and Fight Club and all that stuff. And I remember uh, reading what was the one like like loosely connected book of short stories that he did. Oh, guts, um, not gut. Well, or guts haunted, was part of it. Yeah, yeah, haunted. And the whole thing about that was like. How can we capitalize for fame and publicity's sake, surviving a tragedy? Um, which by that point, it had gotten so crass and so mm-hmm. tiresome to me, just as all of his philosophies had. Um, and yet here, it's it's fascinating just when you get to – like I'm thinking about like poor Stu and his like, my girlfriend died too. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you this uh, PLL uh, link up here. Who on PLL would be wearing Tatum's outfit here of the lime green, like short sleeve sweater and like the weird spiral design skirt? Um, I'm going to give all the faith in the world to Mandy Line and mm-hmm. the person who replaced her. Uh, nobody. Um, but the, Not whatever, a fan? The, whatever the uh, modern day equivalent would be, would mm-hmm. probably be Hannah, I would guess. I guess I could kind of see Hannah in this. You're not a fan of this outfit? No. Okay. Other than um, it 
it definitely complements apparently the temperature in the uh garage. Well, this was the nineties where they didn't airbrush stuff like that out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, this is what you did when you weren't gonna do copious amounts of nudity. You were like, <laughs> hell yeah, we're gonna have sweater nips. <laughs> yeah, poor Tatum. I, I always feel bad that she dies. Like I know why she would die. You know, she's the you know using this not as a judgmental term, but in, in the parlance of the movie, she's a quote unquote slutty one, you know, so she mm-hmm. has to die because of that. Even though she really isn't though, you know, no, it's like, no. that's like the archetype she fills, even though like, she's just a pretty cool person all around. She's in a monogamous relationship mm-hmm. where she's owned her sexuality. Yeah. yeah. It's a shame that this is what qualifies as the slutty one. But I mean, this is a, this is a movie where you don't really need nudity to, to tackle yeah. these tropes too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then fucking Billy shows up and I I do like the way he kind of like shoots a little raised eyebrow look at Stu here. Basically like, yeah, I just killed your girlfriend. (laughs) I I also love the, the bro thing. Like, uh, well, look at that. (laughs) Who would have invited Billy or told him we were having a party where he could hook up with his ex-girlfriend. Um, guys want to talk or whatever. Use my parents' bedroom. Gross. Um, also, I love Randy even more because he refers to Billy as Leatherface. Oh, and you get the uh, clueless reference to, oh, really, Alicia? As if. <laughs> oh, so Billy's pep talk to Sydney is life as a movie. You pick the genre. Oh, God. See, this, Her is, segue. this is my problem with these scenes. Like, every time it would be a Billy Sydney scene, it's just like, wah, wah, check your phone. You know, like, it's so boring. Her segue from that is, I like it to be a Meg Ryan movie or a porno. Yeah. <laughs> and he's Maybe just like, just holy shit, really? Mm-hmm. And she's just like, yeah, mama wants to get wet. I mean, of of all the possible times, like I feel like you could sell a, uh, you know, I might die tonight, let's just bang thing. But like, I don't, I don't feel like they're really going for that angle. It's like somehow he's like emotionally connecting with her at just the right time that she's ready to have sex like that. I don't buy. (laughs) Yeah. Also, he still looks gross. Yeah. Like she should have been like, maybe you could go into Stu's parents' bathroom and like just wash your hair first. Mm -hmm. Maybe because it's it's gross. And also shave whatever this this facial hair situation is because yuck. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's funny that on the on like the posters, he's got like a goatee. Even though in the movie he doesn't. Well, and like longer hair in the yeah. posters too. I really like the this uh, angle where it's like all the kids watching, you know, the TV where the cameras like where the TV would be. Right, right. Like Stu is just kind of like halfway on the couch, like behind some other girls. Randy mm-hmm. seems like he's kind of trying to like get in on this other chick next to him, even though she seems to be with the dude next to her, you know. Yeah. There's like the dude way in the back, like crouching down watching. I don't know. It's, it's really funny to watch the background stuff in this. It's weird. Something about your description of that is like, mm-hmm. it's just solidified further that I want to go watch Can't Harley Wait. <laughs> I can't that, feel my legs. Yeah. Yeah. Then he's got to um, do the rules. Yeah. The rules. Um, and I they're these kids. throwing popcorn all over that house, man. That's going to take forever to clean up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this house will obviously get dirtier, but yeah. 
I guess I never did this. I never threw like raging parties when my parents were gone for a No, apparently it happens all the time because I've watched a lot of movies where it does. But yeah, I've never experienced such a party myself. Yeah. I never I never knew of it. I mean, I, I've heard the stories of people where like they invited like maybe two other couples over and people disappear into different mm-hmm. corners of the house and things. Like, yeah, I'm going to invite 40 people over and hey, guess what, guys? Fuck my house. <laughs> I have a whole weekend to clean up. Yeah, the rules never, ever under any circumstances say I'll be right back. And then just immediately, you're going to go get a beer you want. Now I'm good. I'll be right back. <laughs> I'll be right back. Like uh, Matthew Lillard, like he, it's almost like he wishes he had that like 90s rubber face of uh, mm-hmm. Jim Carrey. Yeah, he's like like goofy teen version of Jim Carrey in, in a little bit, you know. Yeah. I like how it's like we're due for another suspect. So Dewey has to like offer to lead Gale out into the woods and he does the whole flashlight under his face thing. It's just enough to make you go like, hmm, you know, like maybe there's something here. Well, because romance and murder have a lot of the same uh, uh, ways of getting there, which is ulterior motives. (laughs) And like, no, no, let's not drive. Let's walk. Yeah. And she's like, okay. <laughs> These dudes are like high fiving after the nudity shot on the on in Halloween. God. Yeah. Oh, I like it how like it's it's subtle, but at, at this point, the only girl who's left in the at, at the couch watching the movie gets up and leaves. And it's like, yeah. peace out. Yeah, like it's it, like a sausage it definitely fest. definitely became more of a sausage fest as it ran on, yeah. <laughs> Girls are like, yeah, this is a little too bro heavy. Well, like one of the most gruesome aspects is these kids and how happy they are to see their principal gutted and hanging from the school's goalpost. Yeah, after after the Halloween score kind of like cuts in on that, which is perfect, you know, the, like build the, the mystery as he's answering the phone. And it's just like, we could go see our principal gutted and hung out to a goalpost. Yeah, let's do that. Well, it's like, how did you find out? Who made this phone call to mm-hmm. you? Yeah. Shouldn't police be there? Like, shoot. Could you even get close to that? Yeah. Well, it gets people out of the house, and that's what they needed. Yeah. You got to get rid of some of these kids. Uh, And then there's the whole super theatrical death they have for uh, Billy, the fake death. Well, before that, the whole uh, diving out of the way of the cars, like uh, Dewey and Gale there. And Mm. she's like, is this what you're looking for? And he's like, all my life. Yeah. She's just like, no, that. So it's so corny, but perfect. Could you imagine Toby trying to pull that off? All of my life, all of my life. Well, it's like, it's like if, this, together, if this really was Sid's dad doing it, like you just go park your shitty like hatchback in the in the woods, like that's your plan, okay? Right. Yeah. <laughs> to go fuck up a, a teenage party, like. Mm-hmm. Man, you really took that loss of your wife hard. Well, it's funny. Even even the you know fake attack on Billy here looks fake if you're really watching for it. You know, like the stabs are kind of more to the side than forward, and you you actually, if you're paying attention, see the killer white blood on the knife. You know, the killer holds up a knife that doesn't have any blood on it and like squeezes out some blood on it, like from something in his hand. Nice. Mm 
and then he and because it's he does the move twice you know once where the blood goes on and then he and then he wipes the blood off like you know that's his move he's always wiping the blood off the layout of this house is a little weird though the way like there's like apparently two entrances to like the master bedroom or something here right right which he like locks one door runs around goes down the stairs and like comes around and like there the killer is coming the other way which you do not need more ways into this master bedroom because you know Stu is a creep who is probably watching his parents mm-hmm. do stuff in there. I was reading in I think it was like the IMDb trivia when she goes into the room where she puts the surfboard down to mm-hmm. block it. Like in this room, there's some weird things. There's some like weird dolls hanging by like nooses and shit mm-hmm. from the ceiling, and people are like, "Ooh, this is like a subtle clue that like Stu must have done this because he's like weird. It's like all this like macabre shit here." Hmm. it's pretty subtle like you barely see it but like there's definitely like a weird doll hanging from a noose you know it's like it doesn't really linger on it enough for you to register though well like it's also real quick let's to make it more personal let's talk Mm -hmm. about the fact that they they try to do location scouting in north carolina to do like the whole like the dawson's creeks Mm -hmm. studio area didn't work out they ended up like the santa rosa area um where they basically filmed next to same houses where they did like Pollyanna and like shadow of a doubt. Um, but even more like, do you remember like having to hear about poly class like in your youth? Yeah. Oh, not to mention, I I'm actually from that area originally, you know, before we moved to Sacramento, we were from Santa Rosa area. So mm. yeah, this is all very familiar to me. Ooh, hashtag Benjamin lights actually Zodiac killer. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Poly class and all that. Yeah, that would hurt to fall on a boat like that. Because like well, they treat it like it's like people? they treat it like it's like flat underneath that tarp, but that would yeah. just be like some seats, uh, you know, that you would sit in. Like God, that would hurt. Or or just you know embezzled money stacks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I mean, I think the, the thing is that it's not hard driveway pavement, so. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, like, when she first falls, it looks like, oh, Cindy's a goner. <laughs> Thank God for these guys' privilege. There's a boat to land on. Behind you, Jamie. I love the, the way the, the camera at this point is getting all, like, it's tilting and, and kind of, like, weaving all over the place, you know. It's all very disorienting, which would look cheesy out of place. But this is, I think, just the right time for things to feel so askew. You know, and like, mm-hmm. you know, through a looking glass type of thing. Yeah, like Dutch Go Madness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then. I wonder if this so, this shot was Sydney running to the fence. I wonder if this is supposed to be a reference to Jaws or not. Because it reminds me of it just enough, but I could see how it isn't at the same time. Well, I started thinking a little bit Jaws, a little bit. I know when I first watched this, I I thought about some of this outside stuff as being like uh, the end of like the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, but at night rather than day. Um, I don't know. It's fascinating that it eventually ends up back in the house. How much time would <laughs> you spend in in uh, Stu's house? Well, Stu apparently has like a badminton net set up in his yard there. Of course. <laughs> But yeah, you get the time delay payoff here, which I love. Still get its this throat slit. Yeah, I think they even do like a little a little zoom on the door. Yeah, I mean Wes Craven, he 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 really just seems to know 
he's got his bag of horror movie tricks and he knows just when to deploy them, you know? Well, he hadn't quite done a movie like this. Like all of his horror movies before this were, you know, nightmare killers, or mm-hmm. voodoo or what have you. Um, this is something very human and real. And yeah, he's definitely having a good time and he knows what he's doing. Um, R.I.P. Wes Craven. Yeah. What are we like just over a year since he died? Hasn't been two? that long. Yeah. Wow. I mean, he, he directed Scream 4. Did them all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I gotta say, I don't know, it might be a little bit later, but um, for Gail, when she crashes, yeah, I'll, I'll get to the thing I was going to say. So, but Gail, when she crashes, it totally seems like she'd be dead. Like, is there right. an airbag opening there? Because like, damn right but, um, well she seems like she's she was she like she was dead like that's quite a hike back up to the house after it seemed like she was dead Stu. and then i do love the bit where dewey he's inside he's looking around all those screams are coming from the horror movie and then when we get back to him is when sydney runs up uh you know for first after you know avoiding getting hit by the van she runs up to the house the door opens and dewey just kind of stumbles out like confused and then he's got a knife in his back. I love that. Like anytime that happens in a movie, I feel like it just works. Like oh, like, yeah. it's like usual suspects, it happens there, you know, like the strangest thing, you know, fall over a knife in their back. I love it. Oh, I mean, it happened in like, uh, what was it? Like you only live twice. Mm-hmm. The guy later plays Blofeld like two movies later. Yeah. I mean, it was one of those, those tropes I don't think you see anymore. Well, and it's, this is the perfect time to deploy. Like we didn't need to see Dewey get attacked. Like we saw him sneaking around the house. We know he's in danger because we know there's a killer around. And now we just see him stumble out with a knife in his back. Like it's it's perfect. And then the killer has to show up. Spoiler, it's just a nerve cluster. He'll be fine. <laughs> Severed nerve. Uh, the bit with uh, locking the doors in the car, I love. Like having to roll up the window manually. And then yeah. and then I, he just taps on the, the window and holds up the keys. I love that. And that became kind of definitely a, a recurring – that's the dangerous thing about these sequels though. Is you yeah. always have to evoke certain set pieces. It's like and let's like do cars. another car scene, yeah. Yeah, and like I want to say at least two and four have one. I don't remember if three does or not. But yeah, the fucking car three scene. Three is just bad. I mean the car scene in two is really good. But yeah, this one just with the like you know the killer's outside, you can't see where, and then like slowly the hatch you know, in the back starts to rise up. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Although I have to assume the killer really didn't want to kill Sydney here because it's not like they attacked with the knife. They just grabbed her, you know? Right. It's like they're they're waiting to set it up so that they could finally get inside and have their, you know, their big talking killer reveal. Yeah, you want to push her further through the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So do we um, do we assume that like Randy must have seen Stu like pulling off ghost face costume or the ghost uh killer costume like is that why he thinks it's Stu? i wonder um i was just thinking about like like the movie is so good i mean your natural inclination with all these things when you come into this movie is that there'll be one killer but just by the nature of the fact that like casey pulls off her killer's mask before mm-hmm. she dies mm-hmm. further solidifies that one person was yeah. responsible um, I almost wonder half the time if like 
during the weekend, the fevered weekend when when Kevin Williamson turned this 18 page treatment into an actual script, if he was just like talking to a buddy and he's just like, oh, man, I'm at this point and I realize I don't know who the killer will be. And like none of them actually figure out because I've had him in all these different places. And like it's one of these two guys and like somebody's like, I don't give a fuck. Why don't he make a bow for them? No, I'm sure that's not how he had it. (laughs) <laughs> now this is totally built on the idea that he's tricking you because there's actually two yeah which yeah. is great you know i mean it wouldn't be as much of a surprise now obviously but at the time it was just like ooh, very clever yeah yeah well i mean it, it's like Ad, agatha christie there's like three big agatha christies mm-hmm. where her twists are so intense and impressive that no one else could do them afterwards and they certainly try the best three in my opinion yeah yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so Billy is such a nut job that he relishes getting to reference Anthony Perkins in Psycho when he reveals himself. Even though and then drops the, the actual the, blood, Harry. Yeah, the actual. We all go a little mad sometimes. The delivery is much different. That always annoyed me just slightly because mm. it's like it's in the middle of a conversation. It isn't like like a like a kill line like Billy delivers it. You know. No, no. It's like he's it's like he's pre-referencing Vince Vaughn in the remake. God. But I love the just like fuck you both with uh Bill or uh, Stu and Randy both pointing at each other. He's the one, he's the one that's great. Yeah. The nineties really was an interesting time in filmmaking. Uh and, and I like even more so now removed from it, do I see its similarities to the seventies in the sense that you only had so many directors and actors. Mm-hmm. And of course they, they had to like kind of argue and what are they going to fit and fall into um, with like Vince Vaughn. And I think like, how did he not end up doing a screen movie? It's probably because he was busy doing like lost world <laughs> and like the remake of psycho and shit like that. Otherwise he would have absolutely been probably some minor character like in scream Two. Yeah. He would have been like one of the college students or something. Yeah. I, I like the way Stu shows up and he like he pretends to be like horrified for, for just a moment as Sydney runs over to him and like is like burying her face in his chest and then he just holds up the the voice changer and does it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the voice changer. And I like the way they like throw it back and forth to do the voice, you know, they each do it. <laughs> and then they just reveal their complete madness by stabbing each other. Yeah. I mean, as far as like well, talking I, I, killer moments go, I feel like this is one of the best. Yeah, I mean, and this is this is kind of one of those things we talk about the killer monologue in PLL when we're talking about like the end game and who's mm-hmm. the character we want to see revealed and like who's the actor we don't want to see delivering this monologue. <laughs> um, but I love the the sharing of the voice changer just to let you know you have no idea who was who mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. really during some of those previous scenes. Well, and I feel like this is where Matthew Lillard is just unleashed. Like he's just going nuts, you know, like, yeah, yeah. it's a scream baby and all that, you know, and like, you know, waving his hands around with the gun and whatnot. And yeah. It. Yeah. He'll never get to do Macbeth, but he got to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what do you think about Sydney wearing the outfit at the end? I like it. It's the it's a little when a stranger calls, you know, turning the table. She gets to put the outfit on. She gets to kind of take over, you know, you know she gets to own her own, you know, nightmare and inflict right. it back on them. 
which is like the plot of all of these movies going forward is the final mm-hmm. girl like owning her own nightmare and her yeah. trauma. Um, I completely forgot about that rewatching it. What do you think about the uh, when like uh, Stu gets on the phone like and like Billy grabs it and like screams and then he hits. Uh, apparently, this was ad libbed. Like this wasn't supposed to happen. He hits oh, him Stu the with the phone. He's like, ah, "You fucking hit me with the phone, dick." Yeah. <laughs> Did you really call my parents? <laughs> My mom and dad are going to be so mad. Yeah. <laughs> well, then we get the the super meta ending for Stu, who wanted Jamie Lee Curtis so bad. He finally gets to be with her at the TV, <laughs> playing Halloween falls on his head. Which again, this was a this was a weird meta time for the nineties because the same thing happens to Dan Aykroyd. Mm-hmm. Although the most the most meta piece of garbage nineties moment ever was. Do you remember the big shit? Yes. When they actually have the final battle in, in the video store, yeah. a two-story blockbuster. <laughs> yeah, the big hit for anyone who's wondering. But uh, going forward, we'll, we shall refer to that as the big shit. Yeah, Mark uh, Wahlberg as the verbose, sensitive hitman. I love the way Stu is like kind of slowly weakening. You know, he's like, "You got too deep, man." Like, yeah, you know, he can't Woozy. really. Yeah, I'm feeling woozy here. And then the perfect timing for the return of Gale, because you probably would have like extra out mentally at this point. You know, it's like, it's yeah. like, yeah, that looked like it killed her. Uh, but nope, here she is. It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel fake or like do sex machina or anything like that. You know, it's like she looks all Toro, but yeah, she's still alive. Well, you have you have the sisterhood mm-hmm. representing in full force, equal to the brotherhood there. Um, and the ladies win, and it's it's wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> you get Billy's creepy uh, neck cracking as he's about to shoot her. Love that. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and I feel like it's like unspoken rule number four: like have presence. <laughs> Your presence will keep you alive. Yeah. And yeah, Billy just starts to go nuts. He's like cutting up the couch cushions and shit. Like he's completely lost it. Yeah. I like the the reference to. Jamie Lee Curtis hiding in the the side of the closet, which is exactly what apparently Sydney's doing in the closet here, like hiding to one side. Right, right. And she like spears him with a uh, umbrella. That would fucking hurt. Well, you want her to like push it in deeper and then open it. <laughs> yeah, Stu gets the TV, twitches like the perfect death for Stu. Not only the medinist, but just like he's the kind of guy who should should twitch a lot when he dies. You know, he's such like a a weird energetic actor that you want to give him that. Well, and it becomes, it becomes, it, it feeds into the thing of all the, the dead, supposedly dead killers and scream is the, the standing over the hero stand over mm-hmm. them. And like, this is the part where the person comes back <laughs> yeah. as long as they have a head, you know, for Thanks. Billy there with like the, the blood lipstick and everything. He, he has a head. You can see him. He wakes up, they shoot him again. Um, I love Stu, the, like, uh, I've never been so head, happy to be dead. a virgin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I just the way they're all covered in blood at the end, like it's great. Yeah, I guess originally they're gonna kill off Dewey, but then they went and shot this scene just in case they wanted to bring him back. And like Thank God. Audiences love them so much that they're like, Yeah, we gotta keep Dewey around. Thank God. I wanna he's know one of the sorry, go ahead. Oh, oh so he's one of the best parts of Scream too. Oh, well. absolutely. Yeah. I wanna know why the cops are apparently letting Gail Weathers walk right into their crime scene, like with a camera. Well, crew. I was going to say, 
she forgoes wearing like the victim in shock blanket or whatever and yeah. just goes straight to reporting the story. She even has a new cameraman. She found a new cameraman and like a boom guy. Yeah. And, and then like another dude to like hold the sound equipment and she's walking like right into the crime scene where there's like these like cops and ambulances around and she's like, yeah, just follow me in here. Like are the cops just like, well, well for, like, since you were one of the victims, you therefore have like carte blanche to like roam the crime scene. But we will. Right. Also, it's like shockingly daylight now, but um, it's like I, early morning. Yeah. I feel like the the last lingering shot by which we can rise up and do credits and everything works so much better in this one that doesn't scream two. Yeah, scream two one's kind of awkward. It's just like yeah. the college, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that is scream. I think we covered most of it there. Uh, if you could change anything about this movie, what would it be? <sighs> I feel like I'm Kurt Vonnegut here. I just want to be that young again. Um, for me i i just wrote down pick a vibe for billy like i feel like they they didn't have a handle on his character exactly in this is he is he the big man on campus is he james dean is he super sensitive is he goth like i don't know what he's going for and i feel like that's a lot of the reason why you don't really like those scenes drag. I mean, you know, part of it's just chemistry, but I feel like we just don't know what to do with this character in general because mm. he, we can't really nail him down. I mean, who would you even recast this role with? Like Scott I mean, Wolf in the nineties? I have no idea, but not Skeet Ulrich. That's for sure. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. I don't know. But like, I just, I'm not sure what they're going for with this character. He has all these movie references, which, you know, obviously you come up later cause he's the killer. But he's like doing this like kind of like James Dean thing. He's just wearing like jeans and a white t-shirt. Mm-hmm. And yet he's like referred to by like the cheerleader. It's like her like perfect boyfriend and whatnot. It's like what what am I missing? Because I, I don't get this character. Well, I mean you had all those like horrible 90s hot takes of everything where characters like this, like this who were definitely a more extreme example of like people like us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like there was this to so many people, like this fine line between people like us and to like Dylan and Eric, you know what I mean? Um, and, like, Dylan an and Eric, who like, like an instant, like Columbine, I can't remember their last oh. names. Oh, Klebold and the other <laughs> he guy. gotta, he gotta reference that a little more than just Dylan and Eric. I feel like as a 90s, child, <laughs> I don't think people it. listening to this are just like, oh, yes, Dylan and Eric, those guys. I was so happy to see who someone tweeted at us that this is their favorite movie in high school. Bless you for not making mm-hmm. us feel so old. <laughs> you just got to um, own it. Uh, it's back when they made horror movies the right way. Yeah. yeah. Marcus right. Sparks, I'm a hundred years old. <laughs> uh, so yeah, let's uh, do our power rankings. Um, so number 10 for me, Billy Loomis. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> for all the reasons we just talked about. Exactly. Yeah, he's just he, to me. It's just the one part of this movie that doesn't really work. Yeah, both yeah, his character and actor. Yeah, yeah. It um, seemed like they're trying to have it both ways with him instead of like just picking like like who is the cliche this guy is supposed to be based on, you know? Right. Um, 
Number nine for me is Red Right Hand by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. <laughs> That's a worthy fantastic. number nine. Great song. It's funny uh, because better- Nick Cave is that's such like a kind of like really alternative kind of like too cool for, for this movie type of pick, you know, but it works just fine in it. Well, I mean, he's, he's become known as like this like Australian, like murder rock mm-hmm. shit. Um, and this is, this is the original version of all the all weird remixes that they would like trot out for like, the sequels. Yeah. Yeah, I have a uh, Sid's dad at number nine. <laughs> I don't know why. Interesting. I mean, maybe just to shit some more on Billy Loomis, but yeah, Sid's dad. Not a whole lot going on in this movie. Yeah, he spends probably the majority of his screen time gagged, but that's okay. Like maybe two scenes total. Mm-hmm. Even when he's there on the floor gagged, you forget he's there. Yeah. <laughs> they As don't rush to ungag too. him <laughs> after they've killed Billy. <laughs> Well, he eventually they forget about him until he busts out of the closet and is like, "Remember me?" Yeah, yeah. Um, my number eight is Stu because he's just so much better than Billy. Even though I'm not a huge Matthew Lillard fan, but still. Yeah, I had a Principal Hembry at number eight. I feel like I might have downgraded him a little bit just because I realized how ridiculous he was in this. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean that's definitely future. Arrested Development, you know, this is like, this is where it started, I think. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I, I don't have Penry on my list at all. I really should just, mm-hmm. just to put Billy Loomis lower. Yeah. Um, my number seven is just the, the iconography of a Ghostface in general. I just mm-hmm. really like that character, or that that look, that idea. Um, There's something about the way the costume flows, like, like when Casey gets stabbed, it goes into a little bit of a slow mo. Mm-hmm. And the way the costume is just like this big billowing, you know, like it, it's almost like a specter at that point, you know. Right. But kind of like A on PLO, the black pants and the black boots is not it, – it's gender neutral. You know, it's not too shocking that people would be wearing that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just like a big kind of like formless shape. So you could you could theoretically have a lot of people under it. Uh, yeah, yeah. See. I should also add uh, Roger L. Jackson in there too. In his yeah, voice. Yeah. yeah, I should have him on here. Um, at number seven, I have Casey Becker, Drew hmm. Barrymore. Doesn't have much screen time, and and it's really just playing a, a pure archetype. But I feel like she she embodies some life into the character. You know, she she gets to kind of flirt a little bit, and then go from like having fun to horror. Um, I mean, just this is a screen queen role here, you know. Right, right. Uh, number six. This was a toss between him and number putting him at number six, or number five. I have Randy. <laughs> um, Randy Meeks. Randy Meeks, who I feel like you know could have very well died in this movie. I'm so glad he survived because I really like him in Scream Two. But you know, he's got presence. He uh, he knows the rules. Um, he doesn't really save him i mean he's only just lucky to live yeah yeah uh, i have gail weathers at number six interesting lady who sounds like a meteorologist yeah i mean just that's only just because i have people i like more above her but yeah i really like gail in this movie she's sleazy but you know they 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 keep her character on like the the right side morality wise like 
Mm-hmm. She's not like she's never the reporter who you hope gets got to like get her comeuppance, you know? Right. Like she never comes off as horrible or like directly endangering anyone's life or anything like that. Right. Uh, we at five. Number I have five. at five. I have Drew Barrymore's Casey. Um, mm-hmm. She's got presence. She's not like the the any other movie she would be like the super slutty character the movie would make sure that we knew that she's there to like fuck steve but like it's just like this girl and her like lame jock boyfriend are gonna watch a movie together that's it oh yeah and she's just wearing like a sweater and like sweatpants yeah it's not like it's this isn't the typical thing where it'd be like these teens will be punished for sinning that kind of thing yeah right right Uh, let's see. Number five, I have Tatum Riley. I love mm. Tatum. She's just so much fun. <laughs> she sits next to me in English. Not anymore. Uh, <laughs> just like the way she hassles Dewey and fights with him. I don't know. She's lots of fun. I mean, just just for those reasons, I have Tatum at number four. Um, just because she's kicking ass on every level in that garage. Mm-hmm. It's It's one bad decision. And the killer getting lucky by which she uh, meets her demise in that garage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, number four, I have Deputy Dewey Riley. Mm. Dewey, who I, I think Dewey's probably going to be higher in screen two, but he's still pretty good here as well. He's, mm. uh, I mean, it's, has David Arquette ever done anything as great as Deputy Dewey? No. I don't think he has. No. This not is even really his, the role uh, he was born to play. Not even his, like, one episode of Friends. No. No, it's just the right amount of awkwardness and earnestness with like just this, like you wonder if maybe this guy's IQ is like a little on the low side, you know? Right, right. Which, I mean, talk about like an acting family that we don't. (laughs) The Arquettes. The Arquettes, you've got Patricia, Alexis, the father who plays the cop in the second one. Um Rosanna. The other Arquette that I'm totally forgetting. Rosanna Arquette that mm-hmm. I'm totally forgetting. Um, yeah, it's it's more like gender spread out, obviously, uh, than like the Baldwins, thank yeah. God. Um, yeah, number three, I have Dewey. Um, like I said, he's, he's, he's sweet, he's earnest, he's not a total buffoon. Um, he's not like a bad guy who's just there to get attention for himself. I think at times he knows people are laughing at him. And he he does the thing where he's like sad about it. He's not like swearing revenge. You mm-hmm. know, when the, the other cops are clearly laughing at him and clowning on him because his sister told him off in the, the squad room. You know, he's not like the mustache trolling bad guy. Well, There's only a very few times when you think that Dewey is the killer. And I mm-hmm. think it pops up more like I remember like that was the big Dark Horse theory in Scream 3 was that Dewey was going to be revealed <laughs> to be the secret third killer because yeah. uh, he was so sweet. Well, it's something I was thinking about. Most of the characters in this movie are pretty good hearted, really. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's something you don't get as much in modern movies where, you know, for example, you mentioned like the witch earlier, which I thought was fine. Like, I didn't totally love it, but I didn't hate it. But like a lot of the characters in that movie are just like fucked up, you know, yeah. whereas like in this movie, other than the killers, they're all pretty you know, there's like the mean cheerleader, but other than that, like right. everyone's pretty nice. You know, Tatum isn't like 
you know, in another movie, Tatum would be that cheerleader who's like awful to everyone, but right. she's, she's actually pretty cool. The, the things that the characters want that would be the thing that you would hold against them are pretty normal desires. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So. so where are we at? Number three? Yeah. I got Randy Meeks. All right. Randy. I mean, he delivers the rules. I got to give him a high spot there. I mean, he definitely takes off in the next movie even more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like all the all the, the ground is laid in this one. Like he's just he's that he was like that guy before we realized that this was an archetype. You know, like everybody right. everybody knew or was this guy, and yet he'd never really shown up in the movies yet. Mm-hmm. Before you got like Franz, what's his name, and Cabin in the Woods, you know, the guy from yeah. Dollhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was like these movies were the last time you could really appreciate Jamie Kennedy because it became <laughs> horrible after this. Um, <laughs> they dated Jennifer Love Hewitt for a while, so good on you, Mal- Jamie Kennedy. Malibu's Most Wanted, the mm-hmm. Jamie Kennedy experiment. But yeah, just for uh, uh, watch out, Jamie. Turn around, Jamie. Yeah. Um, Jamie, behind you. My number two is uh, Gail, and I, I'm going to admit that part of this I think is based on like Gail as a whole, so she Gail and, and Scream too. But I, I like Courtney Cox. She's clearly not just the elder, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like I feel like even with a smaller part, she's clearly like second build star to to Nev Campbell. Um, and I love that she. You see a little bit of the the crack of like deep down, even she thinks that Gail Weathers is ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah. Sounds like a meteorologist. She realizes she's kind of a joke. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number two, I have Sydney Prescott. Interesting. Sydney, uh, I mean, you know, she's the final girl. She's pretty, I, I'd say, a pretty compelling character in this. You know, like you were talking about, she's brazen enough to kind of challenge the killer on the phone near the beginning. She turns mm-hmm. the tables at the end. Um, you know, maybe a slight downgrade for even dating Billy to begin with, but yeah, I mean, I'm kind of curious. Like, I don't, what have you not mentioned, Stu? I, I'm very curious. Your number one is my number one is Sydney. Um, mm-hmm. just because she in any other horror movie, she would be the most boring character and thus mm-hmm. the safest, but she is brave. I do like Nev Campbell on this. This was my first real exposure to to Nev Campbell because. Unfortunately, because of other TV schedules, I've seen way more Seventh Heaven than anyone should ever see. But I've only in my life ever seen like mere minutes of Party <laughs> of Five. And and maybe like I've seen maybe more of the spinoff, that one season spinoff of Jennifer Love Hewitt than I have that show. So I didn't really know her. And it's, it's so funny to think of her in this movie. And, and I don't know how many things. years later. <laughs> well, Wild Things for sure. And then how many years later she's like flirting with Don Draper on an airplane. Um. Yeah, she's she's great in this movie. Um, she's so she's definitely very strong. She she can base that goodness, but also well, she has a little toughness. she has a little genre savvy of her own. Yeah, you know they all do, but yeah, her her especially. Well, like none of these characters are like, well, I've never seen a movie before, so mm-hmm. what's going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Number one, as you may have guessed, Stu Mocker. I was surprised myself with this pick. I, you know, when I started watching, I wasn't thinking I'd put him number one, but I feel like he just takes over this movie after a while. Like when he's like all stabbed and bloodied, but he's still like just like working the comedy and he's having so much fun and like the the killer monologue 
reveal mm-hmm. and whatnot. I, he just he brings the energy. And I mean, Matthew Lillard, not my first choice ever as an actor, but I think this was like, this is his role. Like this, this is why he was in so many other movies is because he, he really killed it with this role. Yeah. Yeah. I think she asked his motive and he's like, peer pressure. I'm far too sensitive. Yeah. Which was, which I guess, so the original thing was, was Williamson wanted no motive. He thought that'd be even scarier. And kind of reminding me of like the film code and like Nor mm. and stuff like that. The uh, the wine scenes came back with, you have to give a reason because it's terrifying if you don't. Mm-hmm. And they kind of split the difference in that Billy had the whole maternal thing and, and it was just Dude, like, doesn't really have much motive. Well, one of the reasons I picked him number one is apparently he ad libs so much. I feel like he really elevates the material because it's easy to imagine a different actor just sticking to the script and yeah, it being yeah. a little too, you know, Dawson's Creek, Kevin Williams ish, mm-hmm. uh, Williamson ish. But I feel like he, he brings so much to it, him and Randy, especially that it balances out the, the voice that Kevin Williamson writes in. And it, it really feels like you're getting totally different realized characters instead of the more Dawson's Creek thing where everybody's just trying to talk to articulately. Right. Right. So yeah, that's my number one, and that was Scream. Mm-hmm. Love this movie. I've watched this movie so many times, and yet I still very much enjoyed watching it again. And it's been a while for me too, so this was definitely mm-hmm. like a, a, a welcome return to it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't know if anyone listening to this has not watched this movie; they, they should definitely run out and watch it. It's it's a lot of fun. It's not that long. You, probably without credits, it's only about an hour and forty five minutes which right. is nice. It flies by, except for the uh, Billy scenes. I mean, it's a 90s movie, so there's some of that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that was Scream, and uh, yeah, we'll be back next time to do Scream 2. Yep. Until then, have a good one. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye-bye.